Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Many of the papers this morning are dominated by decisions made by government. Amongst them, of course, uh, the change to the Leaving Cert. I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. The whole deal with this really is like the examiner is saying on their front and inside pages today that uh, 40% of the final marks of uh, the exams in the Leaving Certificate will be on continuous assessment uh, and some of the exams will be sat in fifth year. There'll be a couple of new subjects brought in. So the traditional written leaving certificate, the actual written leaving certificate will only be worth 60% of every subject. And the other 40% will be done by continuous teacher-based assessment. Now, the ASTI, I believe, have come out already saying that they're not all that comfy-feely and happy about doing the assessment of their own students. So uh, the English and the Irish papers, at, uh, for the first papers of the two, will actually be sat in fifth year. So there's a lot to digest there. More on that in a few minutes' time. But this new curriculum and assessment uh, arrangement will kick in in September of 2024. So we're going to have a couple of years of students trialling that. Uh, also, of course, the government have decided that for reasons best known to themselves, is it spying or is it S? Espionage, or is it to, sh- to just fire a shot across the Russians' bows? Uh, they've kicked out and expelled four Russian diplomats suspected of spying, or at least that's how the language from the Vienna Convention is being is being interpreted. But Michal Martin gave them their marching orders yesterday after being alerted by security advisors. Mind you, I do recall them telling me weeks back on air, I think Simon Coveney mentioned, certainly Michael McGrath mentioned, that um, you know they weren't going to expel the ambassador weeks ago, but that that didn't mean the diplomats would be asked to leave. So offski you go, is a front pager in the sun. Four of Vlad's diplomats get the boot. Now Moscow have said that they're going to retaliate in some way, shape or form, probably kick some Irish officials out. I don't know what they're going to do. We'll see. Uh, other stories then involving the government, they've been very busy over the last couple of days, is all workers will, are set to get 10 days paid sick leave. Um, now, you probably noticed that during COVID, this became a very big talking point when it was highlighted those particularly working in meat processing plants, the wages they were on, their terms and conditions, their no sick leave whatsoever uh, was to the fore. And then it got other people talking at the time. And I'd love to chat with people or even texting 0868104106 as to where you are employed, as to whether you're entitled to any sick leave at all. And if you're sick, you're sick and you paddle your own canoe. So all workers will be entitled to 10 days paid sick leave by 2026. It's 2026 because it will start uh, for three days this year and rise to five years in 24, seven days in 25 and 10 days in 2026. So 10 days a year of paid sick leave to be phased in by 2026. But you will need a medical certificate to avail of statutory sick pay and it will only be covering 70% of your wages. Much of it, of course, paid by the employer. And also, the other one then that's interesting is that Irish workers, I don't know whether or not people realise, you're being pushed into this pension. You don't have a choice about it. It will be taken from your salary. Uh, And perhaps it's a good thing because I did read in one of the papers this morning as a typical example. If you have to make a three euro, um, you know, Let's say if it was a three euro contribution and your employer then matches that three euro and then the state puts in another one euro. If you're a 23 year old listening to me now and you're earning 40 grand a year, you'll get a lump sum retirement figure at retirement age of 65, 66, whatever it's going to be, of 666,500 euro. So it's a fair chunk of cash. Now, you can't take all of that at retirement or anything. You can get a 
a portion of it and then get the rest in, in, in payments over the, the final years of your life. But it's a fairly big chunk. But I mean, the only issue of that is that you don't have a choice in this. Of course, the government can't afford to run the country in the next 10, 15 or 20 years. So they're looking down the track as to how in the name of God we'll even get, um, you know, the lights on here or keep any kind of pensions running because there's like three quarters of a million workers out there without any retirement pot. So that's what that new scheme is all about. 666,500 for a 23-year-old uh, on 40 grand a year. Uh, other bills that are coming into us are um, an estimate for the refugee bill. Uh, what will it cost us to take in Ukrainian refugees this year alone? Uh, and the Irish Times is putting that figure at 1.7 billion euro. But COVID, of course, did not go away and we have the latest variant now and Thankfully, it's not hitting hospitals. Mind you, I do see a story in the examiner this morning, the Echo this morning, where they're saying uh, only go to the emergency department, only go if it's absolutely and truly necessary because they're trying to manage a surge of COVID-19 activity as well as increased emergency presentations at the hospital. But there's no plan to bring back full lockdown. I know this is a bit like Groundhog Day because this was in the papers yesterday and it again features Stephen Donnelly. A full level five lockdown would be the only way the only effective way to suppress the current surge of COVID cases, according to the health minister. But at the same time, it's not on the cards. But the sonar saying that it's level five or bust at this stage with 40,000 infections reported over the weekend alone. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I don't want me to get in scary, hairy, but people are saying, oh, my God, we need to go back to lockdowns. Who wants that? Nobody. We've been through enough of that. And if we can keep the hospital numbers down, don't you think? And ICU numbers down, we can all just carry on as we are doing the best we can. Mind you, in hospitality, they're having a right old tough time of it. Not only are they being hammered with regards to staff shortages because of COVID, but also quite a number of bookings, apparently. According to the Mail, a wave of cancellations due to the level of the virus, particularly in bigger groups, where you might have had 10 booked and it's down to 6. You might have had a 20 that's down to 14, that kind of thing. You might have had 4 that cancel completely. So it's a staff shortage and it's also cancellations, it would seem. Uh, others then, of course, are talking about the missed opportunity for Cork. And what everyone's been saying to me yesterday about the loss of the America's Cup to Cork is that if this was in Dublin, it would never have happened. And to cut to the chase here, if the government had spent the 150 million euro needed to bring the America's Cup to Leaside, there would have been a 500 million euro profit. So for 150 euro spend, a 500 million euro profit. Why doesn't that make any sense to them? I just don't get it. But we ain't getting it in 2024. And Cork Chamber are very annoyed about this. They're saying that it's it's a a seriously missed opportunity with potential reputational damage to the city. Dropped ball there, and people should be very angry about it. It was a huge. I mean, what are they actually saying about the beauty of Cork Harbour? That it's not capable of taking something like this, the big second biggest natural harbour in the world, a harbour that will take in ninety cruise vessels into Cork Harbour this year alone, back to figures that we had pre-pandemic. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely insane. But I will say, hats off. If you ever fly through Cork Airport, you're going to come across the greatest security clearance staff in the world. They're incredible. They are so efficient. They are so friendly. They are so on the ball. And I'm not just saying that, although I've been saying it for many years. But the average wait time now to clear security at Cork Airport is 10 minutes. Thank God you're not going through Dublin Airport, where you could be absolutely hours trying to go through. Now, you could say it has to do with the numbers, but I think actually that, um, you know, 
the, the manners, the personality, the efficiency of the staff has a lot to say about it. And Will Smith has apologised, but has it come too late to save his prized Oscar? Even some Hollywood A-listers now have come out and said that he should be stripped of the Oscar. One of them, actually, I'm not sure who it was. It might have been Jim Carrey, I'm not sure, has said that um, that Chris Rock should actually sue him for like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like at the end of the day, it is assault and should not be tolerated. So that continues to dominate many of the, many of the show busy sections of the papers this morning. And one other, um, movie related story. How many of you out there share your Netflix patch passwords with other families? I mean, I have a family member who should remain anonymous that was a demon for it years back, was giving our network, the Netflix password to all of her friends. You know, so you might go in to watch a Netflix show of an evening and find that you were blocked because too many people were watching it. But yet there would be nobody in the house <laughs> watching Netflix. It's just that one person would have got our Netflix password and then they would have shared it with others. So there was people watching our Netflix in Dublin, in Limerick, in Galway. Well, Netflix are drawing a line under that apparently and they're going to charge more for account holders who share passwords across households. And I love this story then. Ringman Rangers have received a very special present this week from Jurgen Klopp and the club who actually sent, that's the club behind sending Cuevin Kelleher uh, to Liverpool, have been sent his jersey from the 2022 Caribou Cup final. That's the game which saw the shot stopper from Mahan cement his name in Liverpool folklore. Uh, and the jersey that he wore in the final at Wembley has been sent to Ring Mahan Rangers in Mahan. They must be immensely proud. The Neil Prenderville Show. Okay, right to be. Lines are open. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Let's get straight down to business. Uh, your your questions and thoughts are welcome, actually, for Donna Collier, the Sinn Féin spokesperson on education. He joins me by phone. Donica, good morning. Good morning, Nate. Thanks. You? Thank you for taking the call. Now, you have been calling for change to the Leaving Cert for a long, long time. It has now happened. Are you happy with it or are you going to attempt to punch holes in it? No, I'm not going to attempt to punch holes in it. I think it's moving in the right direction now. Like, there's a lot of the details that's still to be worked out. Look, I mean, I think a lot of people listening, anyone who's done the Leaving Cert and uh, anyone who has people doing the Leaving Cert now in particular, will be of the view that it's not fit for purpose. It doesn't test the skills that we need for the 21st century. The kind of stress and anxiety it causes is is completely disproportionate. Obviously, any exam is going to be stressful, but like the Leaving Cert is just on another level, to be honest. So what we've been looking for is to move away from all the emphasis being on the big final exam. That's happened, though. Out. It's happened now. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying, yeah, yeah and moving it towards more continuous assessment. Do you now, think that it should have been 50-50 as opposed to 60-40 or anything like that? Uh, no, no, I think 60-40 is about right, but what I do think is that they should be looking more at what you can do at 50 or so at the minute. What they're looking at is an English paper, an Irish paper, but it doesn't seem that you're going to be able to get marks or additional credits in other subjects in 50. Okay, so you're, sure you're, so you're the education minister now. What would you have done differently? I think what you'd be looking at is about 20% of every subject that you could get it in fifth year so that you're going into sixth year with okay. some progress made okay. on absolutely not just everything. English and Irish not just English and Irish no okay. and that would include potentially some of the project work and some of the um, some of the perhaps practical exams uh, probably not necessarily written exams in every subject but at least around 20% 
in any subject that you'd be able to bank that. The other thing is we don't have some of the detail that we're going to need in this. And look, I mean, I think that's okay to a certain point at this stage. You're mapping out a vision. You're going to need to work out the detail later. I can live with that once we're not, I suppose, in the dark for too long. Um, some of the detail that is going to need to be worked out is yeah. exactly what are these, this extra 40%, what is it going to be? Is it going to be projects? It's going to be portfolios? Yeah, I mean, 40% would be continuous assessment. What is that? What yeah, do you read into that? Well, that can mean a number of different things, right? So it could mean portfolios, it could mean project work, it could mean presentations, it could mean additional practical exams. For example, there isn't a practical examination in chemistry, there is, you can explain experiments and all that kind of stuff. Now, that will require resources. There's a lot of schools out there at the minute that don't have uh, the labs that would be up to spec at this stage. Uh, to be able to deliver a chemistry practical, but I think it would be something worth doing okay. because it is testing skills that you can't necessarily. Okay, then, okay, well that's that's when you that's when you kind of drill into it. But fundamentally, it is moving away from the two-hour memory test that somebody has to sit of a morning after five years in school, isn't it? Yes, it is moving in that direction, and that's something that we've been pushing for for a long time, and I do welcome that. No, I haven't said that. Like, I mean, the exam still needs to play a big role. The exam is valuable. It does test certain skills. It does test knowledge. It is always going to be an important part. And look, I mean, it's an important part where people go into third level as well. Exams are a part of life, and they need to play a part. The point is that they have been disproportionate. There are some subjects that are 90%, 100% all on that day, and that just isn't right. Um, that isn't right. It's just too much stress. And it, you know, there are other skills that need to be measured in terms of working with, with your peers in the classroom, in terms of yeah. creative thinking, all that kind of stuff. So, look, I mean... But I now students will be rewarded for their work over the two-year cycle, which is great. They'll have banked a lot of it already. That's terrific. Yeah, look, I mean, I, yes, I agree. Now, as I say, I would like to see them being in a position to bank more of it in fifth year. Um, it's still a lot being put on the sixth year. Um, but yes, it will be possible to accumulate more marks before you go into that exam. So, yeah, that is a positive. A lot of detail needs to be worked out. We need resources here, too, because, like I said, I've given the example of the chemistry exams. But we also, there are many subjects that schools really struggle to find teachers in, Irish, uh, the sciences, maths. Uh, we're going to have to tackle that because timetabling is going to become more challenging for schools. The other one is PE. We want to offer PE to every student in the school. There are classes here in, in Cork City, in the county, that don't have PE hall, so that needs to be dealt with as well. A lot of details to be worked out. Additional resources will be needed, but is it moving in the right direction? Yes, I'm satisfied it is. Is it moving in the right direction for the ASTI? Have they not got obser- uh, reservations about it? As to somebody said in the ASTI, they don't want, they don't want teachers having to assess their own students. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think, like, I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, I think the ASTI, the TUI, gave a response that was broadly um, some differences between what they said. But what I did see in both of them was there's a lot here that we like. Um, but they do have some reservations. And I, I do think, to be honest, that, that there are very few types of continuous assessment that it isn't possible to do external uh, assessment or external marking. Uh, well, why would they want to do it? It's part of their, surely, it's just part of what they do, isn't it? Just assess the students, like, as if, as if it was just yeah, well, part of the normal be, day. Sure, well, look, I mean, obviously they're capable of doing that, and they did that in the context of the pandemic. I suppose the question is, is whether it's good for the education system to do that. The education system, I suppose, has in the Irish system a relationship between the teacher and the student that the teacher is advocating for the student and trying to push for them to get the best that they can 
rather than being in the place where they're assessing them. Um, now, like, I mean, there may be circumstances where, where that's necessary, but I think a lot of the type of stuff, for example, that chemistry practical, for example, a PE practical, for example, different types of presentations, can you do that with external assessment, ensure more transparency, retain the relationship between um, the student and the teacher? Yeah, you can, of course you can. Is there, is there a fear that with, uh, is it fair with teachers who are doing the assessment themselves that there might be a personality block between a student and a teacher or vice versa, that they just might not get on? Possibly, but I think more so, I think the concern is, like, I mean, in small rural areas, like where a community knows each other very well, you can have, you know, a small secondary school in a small village with about 300 kids and, you know, the teachers know the parents and the parents know the teachers. The teacher could be under pressure, is it? Yeah, and like, I mean, these are small communities and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that there aren't some circumstances where there is no other option, but that the teacher will be involved in the assessment. But I think there's very few examples that you couldn't, do the continuous assessment with external uh, assessment. And I think if you can do that, you should do that. It creates greater transparency, it preserves that relationship, uh, and it probably means greater standardisation across the board, meaning everyone's on a level playing field. Yeah, okay. I think if we okay. can do that, we should. Do you think that maybe they decided to bring this in ahead of maybe you guys getting into power? Because you certainly had been talking about it a lot. Have they stolen your thunder on that one? Ah, look, I, partic- I don't particularly mind in relation to that once we're, once we're moving forward in relation to this. And uh, look, I mean, it is, it's not going to happen overnight. Some elements of it will be happening in 24. Some elements of it will be happening later. Like, I mean, obviously, if we're in power, we will ensure that this is implemented to the best effect possible. There are some things that we might do differently. I've given that example of maybe a bit more emphasis on being able to gather marks in fifth year, but okay. once it's happening, once things are moving in the right That's direction. That's what matters, yeah. Satisfied. So would a, would, a, would a Leaving Cert student going into um, fifth year in, in September now be doing a different Leaving Cert? Is, is that when it starts? Not this September, no. The subsequent September, those fifth years will be able to do um, the exam in Irish and English. And English, okay. Uh, okay. one in fifth year, and then the changes... The, the, probably the more continuous assessment is maybe the following 50 years again starting okay. All right. uh, okay. at 25 okay. so it will take place over time just, just another couple of one or two things before I let you go because they certainly have been busy the last couple of days and some might say they've been playing a blinder um, they have now also brought in all workers getting 10 days paid sick leave they're also bringing in the new pension pot which will um, allow people to put aside three euro of their salary the employer will match it with three and the government will match it with one and there's a figure knocking around this morning that say an average 23 year old now on 40 grand a year will have a pension pot with that little three euro payment every week of uh, 666,500 euro at retirement what do you make of that? Well, look, I can come to the all-enrollment thing, but I think I need to deal with this thing of playing a blinder first because by no means they're playing a blinder. Well, they, they, threw, well, well, they also, they also threw four Russian diplomats out. Yeah, and look, I mean, that's something we agree with. And listen, Neil, there are times that we agree with the government that this is what we do. People accuse us sometimes of being populist, but when the government does the right thing, we'll agree with them, we'll support them. When they don't, we Good, will Well, is it, is, is it right to, is it right to kick out four diplomats? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Is it right to introduce 10 days paid sick leave? Yes, it is indeed. All right. yes. Is it right to have an auto-enrollment pension that the government and an employer contributes to? Yeah, and that's something that we've been calling for for a long time, but we would rather that it was ma- managed by a public agency rather than by the private pension funds playing a role in it, as has been proposed. Like, I mean, I think we want to ensure that this is uh, managed prudently and carefully and that people's money is properly safeguarded because when you think 
of uh, you go back to the crash and the things that some people's defined benefits and defined contribution pension suffered at that stage to pay a lot of people. Well, that is true, so, and it also that. can be down to the fund manager, can't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to see the NTME at the head of that. But look, I mean, the other thing is, see, when you walk out into the street, Neil, and I'm sure you've got lots of calls in relation. There was the big issues that are facing people's lives. It is the cost of living crisis. It is housing. It is health. And on all three of those fronts, as far as I'm concerned, Neil, the government is not anywhere near. They're certainly not playing a blinder. The housing crisis is getting worse. The plans that they have put out yeah. and tried to drum up, it is not delivering. They are refusing to do anything on home heating oil, which is meaning that some of the poorest people in this country are absolutely at the pin of their collar and barely able to afford, even not even able to afford that fill of oil that they need to buy. And obviously the weather's improving, but the nights can still be very cold. So they're doing nothing in relation to that. I think that's profoundly wrong, to be honest. Yeah, well, I accept all of that. That's, that. that's a shocking legacy, without a doubt. But at the same time, with regards to paid sick leave, there are many, many people listening to this program and all over Ireland that have no sick leave um, uh, entitlements at all in the workplace. And it's not just the 16,000 workers in the Irish meat sector. It's many people who just, if you're sick, you're sick, you're on your own. And, that, and, yeah, they're, going, and they're changing that now. And I, and I think that's one of the things that COVID really highlighted. And I, I think there was a lot of people, including the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, including ourselves, including, to be fair, the Labour Party and some of the other political parties, who very early in the pandemic were pointing to this as a real issue. And it was a disincentive for people to do the self-isolation that they should do. Now, a lot of people still did do it, but it meant that it earned, they caused themselves significant hardship on account of that because they didn't have sick leave to take in relation to that. So... Like, I mean, it is insane, really, that it has that it has been this long. Like, there are countries, maybe outside of Europe, where this isn't that common, but typically in a European country, you have adequate sick leave that yeah. is there, that is built into the system. Mind so you, I, it's I, long overdue. It's long overdue, OK, but ironically, it's the employer that's paying it, though, not the government. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think... Uh, in all of these decisions around who pays, there needs to be a balance. I mean, we're conscious of the burden on, on the employer and we have a number of proposals to ensure that uh, employers are supported. Uh, but yes, like, I mean, the employer does have an obligation in relation to that. But there is also, um, I suppose, as the uh, as the person is sick on in the longer term, obviously, there's the whole illness benefit. That kicks um, in afterwards, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but at least, at least employers are being told to... Um, you know, at least I suppose treat their workers properly, and um, that ten paid ten days paid sick leave will kick in to do just that up to I believe seventy percent of an employer's wages on a daily maximum threshold of one hundred and ten euro a day. So a lot a lot of work done. In fairness to them, um, you know, I mean, you acknowledge that. In fairness to you, can I can I just ask you with regards to uh, you're okay with the four diplomats being asked to shove off? Are you? Yeah, well, look, I mean, we were looking for that for, for weeks ago. Like, I mean, we were looking for the ambassador to be expelled. We're still looking for the ambassador to be expelled. We think that that is the um, signal most action that an Irish government can take to uh, to to make it clear to, to Vladimir Putin where the Irish people stand and where the Irish government stands in the context of their illegal aggression yeah. and their criminal aggression. Oh, with the ambassador. But Prince. Mary Lou yesterday was looking for their names and also the reasons why. Um is it that they were spies or is this just a, a tactical di- diplomatic move or, or what? Well, that's certainly, I suppose, the language that the Taoiseach used there yesterday does seem to indicate that that's what they believe. If there's intelligence to that effect, then obviously 
were satisfied with that. We have been looking for the expulsion of of the ambassador, um, you know, not necessarily even on the basis of that, but on the basis of their actions in Ukraine. Like, I mean, it is open to a country to say, look, we're not accepting, um, we're not accepting what you're doing in that part of the world, and we want to tell you, you don't necessarily need the basis of of what has been talked about yesterday. Um, and I, I think that action should be taken, to be honest. Like, I mean, you know, you can talk about diplomacy and all that kind of stuff. The ambassador has shown himself to be, the account he's been given has been untrustworthy. They've been giving a false picture. The narrative has been from now just spinning, really, to be honest. So it's not as if his role in Ireland is particularly useful in terms of giving an insight into the Russian government thinking because we can't believe what he's saying, to be honest. So if you, are you saying this morning then that with the four diplomats gone and kicked out of Ireland, are you saying that the ambassador should all be, also be expelled immediately? Yeah, that is our position. That has been our position for, for some time now. We're glad to see action uh, in relation to expelling diplomats, but I think the, the step to take is to remove the ambassador. What is going on, and particularly in Mariupol, is absolutely disgusting and the targeting of civilians it is absolutely horrendous what is going on there the slaughter that's happening and, and that outweighs the, that outweighs all of the trade that we do with russia and russia does with us look i mean there will always be a connection there in terms of the you know if an ambassador is expelled the charity of affairs takes over but it has an important symbolic effect and it is a big international statement as well um, and I think it is right. And look, I mean, in terms of the trade that we do with Russia, like, I mean, we're in the middle of a very serious program of sanctions. So, like, I mean, it's not like what the Irish government and what European governments have decided together is that, you know, trade is secondary to human rights here and human rights need to come first. And okay. We need to be taking a strong stand in terms of the human rights of Ukrainians. Okay, just one final question. Down in your parish, uh, there is a Russian cargo ship steaming towards Passage West to be unloaded on Saturday. Uh, should it be allowed to? I'm not actually familiar with that. Like, I mean, I, I would need to know a bit more about it. My, my apologies. There is um, yeah, some yeah. ship coming uh, under the Russian flag that will arrive in uh, Passage West on Saturday. Now, I'm not 100% sure whether it will be loading or unloading or both. Uh, I have a response from Doyle Shipping this morning saying, as a facility operator, we have no choice but to accept the vessel given the current government and EU policy and the fact that the customer purchased the cargo in good faith prior to the conflict. So they're clearly delivering cargo. Right, OK. Look, I mean, I would have to give that further consideration. I could probably send you a text something later on. Yeah. Sometimes with shipping, you have things around flags as convenience and things like no, that. No, this is a Russian know. flag, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, I, I look into it a bit more in general terms. Uh, speaking in principle, like I mean, I think we should be ensuring that there is no trade that benefits the Putin regime. But like, I mean, look, I would need a bit more detail in relation to that, and uh, I can text you later and able to respond. Okay. Appreciate you taking the call. Covered a lot of ground. Thank you, Donica. Donica Lirish, Sinn Fein spokesperson. Uh, for education. You can text 0868104106 if you have questions and observations on that conversation. I want to get the views of a principal, uh, Aaron Wolf, who's the principal at Kalosh to Eamon Reach. My sincerest apologies. Just a short break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818 uh, You betcha. So what does um, a particular secondary school principal think, who's got, I think, upwards of maybe 700 students at Kalosh to Eamon Reese make of the changes to the leaving certificate. Aaron Wolf, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are we doing? I'm well, thanks. Somebody said to me that you think it's a joke. 
Ah, no, no, no. I think I'm being misquoted there now. Um, I suppose I think it's a bit optimistic to think that it'll be coming in in September 2023. Um, you know, um, the, the stakeholders in education haven't really been consulted, particularly the union. Who are the you know? stakeholders? The ASTI, the TUI? Uh, the, the managerial bodies, no, the JMB, uh, they're in favour of it, and the parents associated are probably in favour of it. But the big ones would be the, the ASTI and the TUI, who have always said, you know, they don't want teachers assessing their own students. Because, um, you know, that assessment part has to be fair, has to be impartial. And yeah, it was done over COVID, but again, that was done, and it was said from the, oh, from the outset that it wasn't to be done in the future and this wasn't going to be setting a precedent. So you think there'll be a pushback against this, Aaron, do you think? The assessment will always be um, will always be difficult because um, look, it held up junior cycle reform. I mean, <laughs> junior cycle reform dragged on and on and on forever and the plans kept changing and CBAs kind of became, well, CBAs became what they are today and it's up to parents to decide whether they think CBAs are relevant at all to students' learning. But CBAs be what? Um, uh, Curriculum-based assessment? Yeah, classroom-based assessment yep. in junior cycle. So, um, Has that worked? Now, has it worked? Well, I tell you what it's done. It's caused a lot of stress for students, you know, which I think is the exact opposite of what the, the idea was in the beginning. Now students are preparing for these classroom-based assessments and it causes huge stress and anxiety in schools. But what would be worse? Surely the two-hour exam after two years of study and having a bad day and doing a bad well, exam it, is worse. In, in junior cycle, they still have the two-hour exam. So you sort of ended up just dragging out um, exams over the course of two years. Oh, I, okay, I, I accept <laughs> and, that. And that. I accept that you, you're going to be, you're, you're, you're the professional in this and, and I'm not. I accept that. But I would have thought that the leaving certificate would be a much more important one to fix. Oh, it is. It's huge. Like, it is. But uh, that would be a worry that we would end up dragging out the stress and pressure. Like, rather than having one awful month in June, you, we could have students being very, very stressed all year as they have all these different projects to meet. Now, projects are nothing new. We have projects in geography, construction, history. They're accounting for 20%. So students are doing projects. Now it goes up to 40%. 40, yeah. So you'd be 40. banking 40%. You'd have that banked. Bank before you go into the exam, yeah. which is great because if you are sick on the day of the terminal exam... Or if they don't you know, suit you, it, the questions, anything... Well, I, 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 absolutely, you know, it, it, it should safeguard against that. But what I would hate to see is that stress and pressure will be dragged out throughout the whole two years. But um, it, 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 the, the plans are very vague as well, you know. They're saying that in September 2023, the students that are starting in fifth year will sit English Paper 1 and Irish Paper 1 at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you'll be wondering about the curriculum, like what's going to happen when the teachers just concentrate on Paper 1 for the entire year and then leave all Paper 2 for the next year, you know. It, it's very vague. We haven't been told much detail. But you know, when this plan was made by the Department of Education and the government, were, were, were all of the stakeholders brought in to discuss it in advance? Ah, uh, there are these kind of surveys that put out frequently. But look, and they are addressing some very good points. I just want to say, like, LCVP. Um, LCVP is, an exa- is a subject you can take... Um, link modules and you must do a certain combination of subjects to allow to be doing the LCVP exam but they've got rid of that which is brilliant so that will allow more students to access LCVP which is fantastic and again they've addressed LCA which is Leaving Cert Applied that hasn't been touched since 1996 and it really isn't fit for purpose anymore So have they modernised the Leaving Certificate as well then? Yes what they're saying with LCA is that they're going to change the maths the the, the kind of qualification you get in maths. What was happening now at the moment was you sit LCA, 
And when you'd go out, you wouldn't be able to do apprenticeships because you didn't have enough max credits that fitted into the new QQI qualification. So they're saying they're going to address that, which is brilliant. And, you know, um, allow students that need the LCA exam to access, it won't be his ring fence to Leaving much. cert applied. Yeah. yeah, like a lot of schools have given up doing Leaving Cert Applied because it really wasn't fit for purpose. But was Leaving you Cert know? Applied used to move on to a trade? Yeah, but what was happening, you couldn't then go on and do an apprenticeship anymore because you didn't have enough maths to be accepted onto the solid apprenticeships. Which was stupid. So were sort of just that was just pure stupid. stupid. You were left in limbo. But yeah. the courses as well, I mean, some of the courses were an absolute joke. I mean, one of the one of the modules was about computers and one of the assignments was you had to visit a computer shop and it was very old-fashioned in the way they approached it. Yeah. Thank yeah. God they're going to look at that and change yeah. it. Yeah. So, so is that like a guarded welcome then or just, or what? Oh, it is. I mean, there's, there's some great stuff in there. But what we would be worried about, again, is who will assess the students, you know. Um, but who's better than the teacher? Well, look, as you, you mentioned with Donico when he was on with you there a minute ago, that the, the teacher is the advocate, not the assessor. And you would hate to damage that relationship. And look, there are relations, there are poor relationships. So pe- students will say, oh, my teacher hates me. Well, thank God the teacher never had to assess you then because it was always done outside of school. And, you know, and that's a real worry, is it, then. Aaron, that there could be um, personality issues? Oh, there could be, because there are personality issues. And in smaller communities, there would be pressure put on teachers. You know, if you're in a very small community and you are the English teacher and you know everyone, that teacher would be under huge pressure. You know, make sure Johnny gets a good mark in the exam. And we saw that even with the credit and grades, you know, schools being contacted and being asked, you know, make sure the results are good. And when the results aren't good, we were really to blame. Well, we were, because we gave the results. But do you do you think then that the ASTI might push back and say no to this or is the union flexing its muscles looking for more money for teachers? What? Well, if the teachers have to do more work, which, which, which uh, assessing their own students would be, then teachers deserve more money. But I think the Easter conventions, which are coming up now, um, CUI and the ASTI meet all you know, the delegates. Yes. Um, ASTI one is on in Cork and Silver Springs this year. It'll be very interesting now, like a funny time for the minister to announce this big reform when she knows the Easter conventions are just around the corner. It would have much more sense to do it after the ASTI. Okay, well, watch this space then for those conventions, I suppose. Just as a final point if I let you go because we touched on it there apprenticeships um, we're crying out for people in the trades we're crying out for apprenticeships we spoke about it on the air here f- some weeks back everybody is shoehorned into college it doesn't suit them a lot of the time they're doing courses that they don't want to be doing they drop out of they never use is that changing at all and is there an, an opportunity for change within secondary school where more students could be encouraged to take apprenticeships and go into the trades. There's a great living to be made in it. Lots of money. Fantastic, job it security. Won't be changed. It won't be changed until people give up looking at league tables. They're an absolute disgrace. You know, people think judging a school on the league tables, how many people go to UCC, that's totally irrelevant. You know, you can have great workers going into trades. But, you know, league tables will say, no, 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 80% of your students have only gone on to third level. The other 20% did nothing. Well, they didn't do nothing. They went into trades. You know, and that's incredible. That's incredible that the pressure is coming from the school itself to discourage people because they want to be high on a league table of well, college that students. On the schools that's, 
Well, that depends on the school, if the school puts any um, mass on league tables. Um, but then that comes from parents, you know. Um, parents want to send their child to the school that ha- is performing very good on the league tables, but doesn't take into account trades, you know. And it is, that is wrong. So the league tables should be dropped. But another thing we're short of um, in this country is not just trades. We're short on teachers. No one wants to be a teacher anymore. Why? And <laughs> Why? Because, as I, I've said to you before, teacher bashing is this country's national pastime. Everyone loves to have a dig at teachers and it's not an attractive profession anymore. Okay, yes, we're off for three months of the year, um, but the, the demands on a teacher in the classroom are huge. You've got legislative demands, you're left wide open um, these days. It's not a very attractive profession and I think the government need to look at making it a much more attractive profession. Like, does, I think teaching is fantastic. Does, does that mean that if there's less teaching. of them, does that mean that the standard of teaching is dropping all of the time? I would think it is. I think you'd ask any principal of the country and they would say maybe the, sta- the, the, the standard of teaching is dropping. But it's very it's impossible to get a maths teacher now. It's impossible to get an, uh, an Irish teacher. Now, UCC have introduced a brilliant new course to allow you to do Irish um, and another subject and it would take you three years. But um, it's, it's very hard to get staff. And you I mean, can't get maths teachers for love nor money because it's a set wage. You can't poach or pay above the odds, is it? No, you can't exactly. And if you're going off and you're doing maths, maybe you're four years in college, you don't want to do another two years doing the PME. So who's teaching maths to our kids now? Well, whoever we can find. Now, I'm very lucky, you know, we, we have qualified maths teachers. But there are, like in Dublin, there's a desperate teacher shortage in Dublin because teachers cannot afford to live in Dublin. So will there be schools in Dublin who teach, who are, and students who are being taught maths by t- teachers who aren't maths teachers? Oh, 100%. Mother of God, 100%. that's insane. Yeah, well, you can, like, you, you go on to education posts, which advertises teaching jobs, and you'll see it's very hard to fill certain vacancies in teaching. Irish, no one wants to be an Irish teacher. Very hard to get Irish teachers. Very hard to get, like, Spanish is a new subject that, you know, schools want to bring on. It's very hard to get a Spanish teacher. The numbers aren't there. Well, why don't they bring in Spaniards to do it? Well, actually, there, there is a kind of a project they're just launching this year. But, you know, that's difficult in itself, you know, bringing in a, a, someone that doesn't live in Ireland to bring them over here to become a teacher in your school. Um, it's quite complicated. So would there be students in Cork who are being taught uh, languages or, or maths or what have you by teachers oh. who don't specialise in those subjects? Oh, 100%. Definitely with maths, because maths is very, very, very difficult to find. And, you know, if your maths teacher goes out sick... Jeez, you can bet you won't be able to find a substitute maths teacher. I think, now you'd have to ask UCC, the number of people graduated from the PME last year in maths is very, very low. You could be talking like five people graduated in the whole um, city, something like that, something ridiculous like that. But wow. very hard. But people don't want to go into teaching. It takes too long to become a teacher now. You do four years of your degree, and then you're expected to do another two years of your PME. It used to be one year at the HDIP. That should never have but been. But is it, is, it not, is it not a good job after that, though, with terms, conditions, well, wages, time off? It's not, because you don't start on... Tw- like, teachers work... Um, you're paid for 22 hours, but young teachers don't start on 22 hours. You could be starting at a terrible contract of five hours, and then you're just meant to make up the rest in subbing. Would that go on for a long time? Oh, it could. Like, I mean, trying to get permanent in teaching is difficult, you know. There are... It's it's hard, you know. If you do two years in the same school, you're given a permanent contract. But if you do two years in the same school, you're only given 10 hours. That's your 10 hours. That's your contract. But why are they doing five hours and the rest subbing around the place if schools are short of teachers? (laughs) Well... 
that's just how some schools operate. <laughs> you know, and, and, and maybe maybe it's the subject you have. Like, we have a load of English teachers. It's very hard to get a, you know, it's very hard to get a job as an English teacher because we have a million English teachers, we have a million history teachers, a million geography teachers, but then you have no math teachers, you have no Irish teachers. <laughs> All right, a lot of ground covered this morning. I'll let you get back to the grindstone. Go on. Thanks as always for taking the call. Open and honest, fair Thanks play to Marin Wolf, uh, Principal at uh, Skull uh, Eamon Rees. You can text 0868104106, pick up the phone on 0818104106. Calls on the way. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And more importantly, get involved with the conversation on paid sick leave. Uh, where you're working, does it feature? Do you get paid sick leave or do you have to paddle your own canoe? Because all of that is about to change. Text 0868104106. Just uh, as a by the way, I did read the, and I'm obliged to Doyle Shipping for coming back with uh, uh, a response to our query as to the Russian ship that's coming in on Saturday. They say, and I'm just reading it again, as a facility operator, we have no choice but to accept the vessel given the current government and EU policy and the fact that the customer purchased the cargo in good faith prior to the conflict. Now, in fairness, they also sent me an alert that was sent by the Department of Enterprise to all Irish ports. And it says there are no prohibitions on the import into the EU of goods from Russia, nor on goods sourced in Russia. There is no ban on Russian flagged vessels, nor on Russian owned vessels docking in EU ports. Uh, unless they're oligarchs, super yachts, I suppose. Uh, there are no sanctions um, on anything coming into our, the EU, and that includes Ireland. But there is apparently um, a, a sanction for Russia with regards to stuff that we send to Russia, by all accounts. No sanctions. Uh, sanctions for Russia are export-focused with no sanctions on imports. So that's the where it is. That's where it is. Um, come some texts on that. This is not a large vessel. If there's going to be an issue dealing with a Russian vessel, then the vessel can be diverted to another port and the cargo trans- transshipped from that port to Cork. Well, it's not about that, really. It's about whether it should be accepted into Irish waters or not. We let the U.S. fly into Shannon when they were killing and bombing innocent people in the Middle East. But the media never challenged that. The Irish people didn't care when the U.S. were killing people. This is There's a diesel sh- fuel shortage on our doorstep. Russia now uh, has cut its refining of diesel in half, while Europe gets half of its diesel from Russia and the rest from Saudi. When there's no fuel for the dockers to drive to work, or when there's no fuel to run the ships, what then? Uh, your allegation, Neil, that the Russian activity in Ukraine is genocide, that's quite an allegation to make. Your stoken anti-Russian sentiment, for consistency sake, should we not cease all business with every country engaged in international or civil conflicts, says Richie in Toker. You can text 0868104106 on that. With regards to the changes to the leaving certificate, to put it in perspective, here's an example of how a system can work when it changes. Uh, Anju, originally from Kerala in India, sat his equivalent to the leaving certificate, I believe. Uh, Anju, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. What, what is it called in India? Surely not the leaving certificate. No, it's a higher secondary examination. So it's the equivalent. And did they change the system back in something like 2007 to have it um, teacher assessed? Yes. So I was the first batch of the students who went through the system. So I had uh, experience of the traditional examination thing. We have exams every year. Yeah. So I was doing that. 
And then we were uh, just before the juniors, just the year before that, they changed the system to the continuous assessment. Okay, and how much of it was assessed? Was it 50-50, 40-60? Depends. Some subjects like uh, we have uh, IT in school and for that one, the majority of it is practical. So that will be like 60% continuous assessment, 40 will be examination. Okay. And some subjects it will be 70 and 30. It depends on the subjects. Depends on what work you do in regular basis. Some of the subjects, say for example, physics and chemistry, we have labs to do. So you have to actually do the lab in the school that will be examined by an external External, like that's the, what Donna Correa was talking about. But were all of the teachers at the time happy doing the assessment of their students when it changed? Yes, they were because um, it, the work was done in uh, three weeks. It's similar to what we do in college here. So you get an assignment or you get a project or a seminar to do. It will be... Set, different type of activities they give you three weeks time you do the work submit it to the teacher teacher evaluated give you the results and if you have any um anything to be clarified you get the results up front you can talk to them they will explain to you why you got less marks why you how can you improve it so then your next assessment you can improve better gotcha but the teachers were okay about all of that because the asti aren't aren't terribly happy with having to do that work they're saying but it's better than the exams, like the the normal exam paper evaluation thing. And it's so much better for us. Like I experienced the, it myself. Like I have in-depth knowledge. I have practical knowledge. When I came out, I know what I want to do. That's like, I mean, teach, if, if, I, if I'm a teacher, I'll be te- looking the output, right? That my students doing great. So I think maybe teachers need a clarity or they need to know how the system works, they might accept it. But as a student who sat on the system, I feel it was great for me. I loved it. And you said that you all did better exams rather than just memorizing. And you all got great career profiles and the exams were never stressful. Exactly. Yeah, I was uh, before during the exam system thing. I stood like a 70 person and average student. Like my marks were not so great. I'm not too good at memorizing things. Say, for example, the math. You have the equation. Okay, I'll tell you what, hold that thought because I don't mean to rush you. We've got about another one or two minutes to chat and I'll do it just directly after 10. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Just as a by the way it's great to have live theatre back on Leaside and music and gigs and events and everything and I was at one last night it was, it's called the Faulty Towers Dining Experience it was at the Metropole they're doing it in association with the Everyman Palace Theatre and it was a fantastic night of fun now you do get fed uh, but you're fed primarily by the wonderful staff of the Metropole, but by Basil and Sybil and Manuel. And they really are on top form. And it's as if you have uh, Basil Faulty, Sybil Faulty and Manuel, the Spanish waiter, in the room with you. And they're doing gags and sketches and working with the audience and working with the diners. And Basil is in rare, rude form. You are fed and the food is is damn good. Now, most of the shows are booked up, but we had the greatest night. It was just fun from the moment we went in to the moment we left. In fact, when I went home, even getting ready to go to bed, I was still laughing 
uh, at the fantastic night that they put on. I mentioned it because I've never come across anything like that before. I think it could be done with an awful lot of other shows. I could imagine you could do something similar with uh, Only Fools and Horses and stuff like that. But this really worked. Uh, this is called The Fault, Faulty Towers, The Dining Experience. Now, a lot of the shows are booked up between now and quitting time, but I think there are some seats available for the 1st of April um, show at the Metropolitan. You can book it online just searching Faulty Towers Metropolitan Hotel. It's a great night and we thoroughly enjoyed it. Well done to all concerned. Text 0868104106. I was in conversation just before 10 with Andrew. I just wanted to finish the conversation with her because uh, they went through a similar change to their equivalent to the Leaving Cert in India and it's all thumbs up from her. The point she was making when I ran out of time had to do with memorizing subjects. Andrew, good morning. Hi, good morning. Which, just to finish your conversation, which the Leaving Cert is here at the moment, isn't it? It's a, it's a memory test. Yes. And um, it's the say it's not actually showcasing all the skills. They, if I'm good at art, if I'm good at drawing, if I'm good at music, um, but it, like it's not enclo- enclosing all of those. It's just looking at, do you remember this equation? Yeah. Can you read this question? Do you, me- do you know this poem? Did you read this book? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I, I really remember how it started back in my days. The, the teachers were so happy with it, but they got a really good training over the holiday period. And there was a guidebook given to teachers, say, for the first three chapters, these are the type of uh, assignments or the work we are expecting from the students. So that was a guidebook for the teacher. Well, you don't the recall any pushback that. for the teachers doing this, learning this, changing their skills. They were all happy with it. They were happy. I, they felt this was easier than the traditional method. So Surely it's more India, work for the teachers, though, Andrew. There is a bit more work, but they, the school get evaluated. Every school get evaluated based on the results. So if their students do really well and they progress to college, that is their uh, quality rating or whatever. So they get good students next year. But we are, we're so trying to get away from league tables and we're trying to get away from shoehorning every young student into college on courses that don't suit them, you know? But they, they need to figure out what they need, right? And this is what helped them. So if you don't have a practical experience, if you don't know what you're going to do in your work, what this subject exactly means. So personally, I was planning to be a medical professional and then a medical what? Sorry, like working as a doctor or something. That's okay. what was I was thinking. I wanted to. Do. Yeah. Then I figured out that's not what I want. At the end of the course, I changed my whole mind. I told my mom and dad, "Look, this is not for me. I'm going for engineering." They were oh like, right. So that call? could have been a choice yeah. that you would have been making in college, but you didn't. You made it earlier. Yeah, I made it earlier because I kind of figured out through the exam- like assignments and work I was doing. This is not what I want to do. Okay, okay. And did many of your student colleagues make similar decisions about the career path? They, they did. They did. They did switch to business subjects or vice versa. They moved from the business subjects to computer science or something because we get a bit of everything in school. Okay. And this changed and then, when the leaving certificate traditionally changed from 100% exam to maybe 60, 40 or 50, 50 practicals. Yeah, before yeah. that, it was like, you are, have this thing, you're going, 
there's nothing. You get results. You need the results to get into the college. So people are the same here, grind with everything, trying hard to get that results to go into the college. But then with the uh, with the assignments and stuff, we were able to, we know what is our results, 40, 40% results, so which helped us how much we need to focus. What is my weak side? Do I need to work hard for things that I want to okay. do? Yeah. More clarity. And it was, it, it helped me so much. I didn't go for any grind. I was not the super best student either. My, but th- that's the change from a person who was, who sh- like if it was a traditional system, I will be getting, I'll be failing. And but did you go into engineering? Is that what you ultimately did? I did. I went to engineering and I studied in CIT as well. I came over to complete my degree. Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy with my decision and I made it when I was in school. Okay. And what do you do within engineering? What's your job? So I studied electronics engineering and I work in Apple as a software developer. Wow. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm in Ireland since 2009. And the, the funny part, my, my husband did the traditional uh, exam system. I did the continuous assignment thing. And he hated his school. He's not, he cannot memorize anything. He's a very hands-on person. He can do things. He's, he's like, he's a mechanical engineer now. But he, he never knew any of those. Uh, when he did college, he didn't even know that he wanted to do that. Yeah, he did something entirely different, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Incredible story. So you're developing software in Apple that goes into uh, Apple products? Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) So a lot of the phones, a lot of the phones or or the laptops or computers that we're using might have some of your work in them. Um, yeah, I work, I work in part of that, like I'm, I'm part of Apple, so. Fantastic. Apple, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, continued success. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. Thank you as always. Thanks. Bye. Lines are open. You can text 0868-104-106. Big shout out for Lita. Is it Lita or Leisha? Lita, I think it says here. Lita McSweeney. Uh, she's retiring from the Dunmanway unit in the CUH today after 32 years. So happy retirement to you, Lita, your husband, Sean, all of the family, and Tracy, John, Stuart, and Jennifer. Our lines are open. Pick up the phone, 0818104106. Let's stay with phone calls. Laura, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay. Do you have, uh, do you have sons and daughters doing exams? Um, I have a son doing his leaving cert. I have another son who's doing his junior cert. And the junior cert is done on classroom assessments and projects and stuff. Yeah. And it is such a great idea. Yeah. And, and how do you feel about it for the leaving certificate? I think it's a great idea. Um, long overdue. Uh, I had a daughter who was doing her leaving four years ago. I had a niece and a nephew doing it at the same time. And two days into the actual leaving, my father passed away. And the poor children had to deal with that as well mm-hmm. as the stress of their exams. Isn't that, that's, you, know, you know, these are the type of things that haven't been taken into consideration up until now. Yeah, tragedy yeah. or a sadness or a loss of life like that. That's it, yeah. So my daughter actually went in and did one of her exams and then went straight down to the church for her grandfather's funeral. It was heartbreaking for her. Now... Luckily, she still got her points. She still went on to UCC and she's now opening to you. She's doing her master's in journalism, but it could have gone the other way. Of course it could have gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be no kind of plan B. 
And no special dispensation for the loss of a, a no. family member, yeah. And also three other no. cousins were doing that same leaving cert as well, going to the... There three of them all together doing it, yeah. Going from the school the to the funeral. School. Yeah, basically it was, yeah. So in them situations, there, even when we went on, got on to the school, the school said that there was no, no plan B. Now, the school were fantastic with my daughter because um, she did have panic attacks uh, on the day that my dad passed away because she knew he was very sick and she went into the I she was at home getting sick and I was with my dad and I rang the school and the school said look send her walk out tell her come up to the school and they had a beautiful relaxation room ready for her with nice soft music and the water fountains to relax her and it did work but um, what to call it? She still no, couldn't get out of her mind. That no, that no, that but it was still a lovely effort and a lovely touch on behalf of the school. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think the, 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 the classroom assessments and breaking it all down, I have two other sons coming up now doing the leaving search and I can't wait because I think it'll be less stressful for them and there's one of them more hands-on, even booky kind of a, a student and I think it would benefit him way more than what it would if it was the normal even Yeah, test. the memory test after the uh, two-year cycle. Now 40% of it is banked in advance. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Okay. Great idea. Okay. I mean, they're very young to have that much stress put on their lives as well. I mean, they're only 18, some of them 17 years of age. Interesting point. As a parent, can I ask you, just on that subject, actually, because Aaron Wolf was saying that way too many schools are preoccupied with this league table that they want to be high on with regards to the amount of students, the points they get and the places in college. You know, we had so many doctors, we have so many engineers. Do you think that's healthy? No. But but no, but parents are pushing it as well, you see. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think it's healthy. I think, you know, everybody is individual and this, all the schools, some schools are more noted for having students come out hands-on, others are more academic and you, I don't think it should be you can put your child into a school just because they're more on the academic side than the... I know, the I'm just wondering, side. are there way too many parents out there wanting to have Johnny and Mary the doctor in the family or the engineer, you know? Yeah. Or the solicitor. And, and yet we're crying out then for so many other jobs that we can fill that would give a great life and very, very good prospects. Plumbers, electricians, yeah, carpenters. My, that's it. Yeah, I, I think my son now wants to kind of go in that, go and get a trade. Um, you know, or go into hospitality, which is brilliant because if you get a trade like that for a plumber and things like that, you have it for life. And you know? great, and great money. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm an electrician or something. You have that for life. It's something that you can always fall back on. Yeah, without a doubt. Job for life. Great money, great prospects. See the world and never have a lean day. Okay, listen, thank you, Laura. Thanks for taking the call. Sorry for your loss. Cheers. Take care. Just with regards to hospitality, I was talking with the GM of a hotel recently and he was saying to me that staff shortages are absolutely gone. It's just beyond critical now. They just can't get staff. Uh, don't know where everybody's gone. A lot of them have left the country, particularly young people. Um, he was making the point that if they could only get people younger interested in hospitality and maybe start them when they're still in school, say,
say transition year with a period of that time spent working in hospitality you like to plant the seed of a career and I was saying to him hasn't it got more to do with hours and wages and conditions than anything else and he was saying that that had imp- improved vastly it just doesn't seem to be a career choice anymore text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 we got calls on the way text the Neil Prenderville show now 0868104106 red FM. Well, you will be aware at this stage that uh, Will Smith hit or slapped uh, Chris Rock at the uh, Oscars and Anthony is suggesting that I think Will Smith should be stripped of his Oscar. Can you imagine if a white actor assaulted a black comedian there would be marches on the street? He's uh, he's um, making the point, I suppose, that the reaction to an incident can be based on the colour of a person's skin. Uh, what other people found extraordinary after that event was that Will Smith was cheered and clapped when he actually picked up the Oscar itself. Uh, so I think Anthony is saying that people's reactions can be based on the colour of people's skin. Text 0868104106. And another couple of interesting observations uh, with regards to the Russian ship uh, heading towards Passage West. Maybe the Irish people should have blocked Prince Charles, the honorary car- colonel of the Parachute Regiment, landing in Cork. This bunch were responsible for the massacre of innocent people in Derry and Ballymurphy. Did you know that visit cost the Irish taxpayer over a million euro? 1.5 million, actually, according to the Irish Independent. Uh, and I guess a lot of that had to do with security and guardie and what have you. And what was, what was he doing? Well, just on a visit to buddies and chums. Why is there an English woman on the air giving out about what a different country is doing when her own country killed hundreds of thousands all over the world. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106 from yesterday. Big response actually to issues regarding uh, parking, clamping, and at one stage yesterday, the disability blue badge. Uh, that prompted a call from uh, Helena. Helena, good morning. How are you? I'm great. And yesterday I was chatting with Deirdre, um, and we and and a lot of it had to do with me actually. I was I was chatting with her about people who misuse the blue badge. Did you want to pick mm-hmm. up on that? Yeah. Yeah, because um, I fell at work um, about in 2013 and I actually ended up getting like a severe sports injury to my foot, which is called um, chronic regional pain syndrome. And uh, that was that but, was an awful lot of pain from a small, it, it wasn't a high yeah. fall, like was it? No, no, it was, it was less than two feet. What happened? Um, well, uh, well, I was reaching up cleaning and because um, I was working in a, a hotel local and yeah. um, I really couldn't tell you one minute I was up, next minute I just knew I was midair and it wasn't good and I was coming down and just pain. That was it. I don't know exactly how I fell or how I slipped. I really don't know. It just happened kind of slow motion. <laughs> and what's chronic regional pain? It's like having your foot in a red hot fire day in, day out. What? Yeah. All the time? Yeah, all the time, yeah. And I actually have it in both feet now because looking after one, I fell on the other and I got on that too. Helena, is there, <laughs> is there any medication for that or surgery or anything? Um, well, I've had an option of amputation for my oh, left my leg. My God almighty, stop, will you? Yeah, um, because I have other things going on as well. I also had an operation on the plantar fascia at the bottom of the foot and it's left me with scar tissue, which is no better than the burning feeling that I have already. And is all that from the small fall? 
Uh, well, it started with the fall. I already had an issue with my other leg. Um, I had a bunion on the other leg and the plantea fascia, as I said. So when they operated, I was up for 15 months with my leg up. And because my leg wasn't moving, I ended up getting the complex regional pain syndrome in that one too. How so I'm now having in both feet. cope with, what do you call it like? You say that it's like having... You're a, a red hot fire. A red hot fire, yeah. How do you cope with that? Um, sleep, believe it or not. When I'm asleep, I feel uh, so much better. I sleep more than I've ever done before. Um, and the medication I'm on, it's just been raised and raised and raised throughout the years. Pain-killing medication, is it? Yeah, and uh, to the point it actually destroyed my teeth. As in rotted or, or fell out? Or? As in they went weak and broke. Literally, I could close my mouth. You know the way you kind of close your mouth and you kind of go, hmm, and you kind of grit your teeth a small bit? Yeah, from time well, to time. My teeth snapped. God. <laughs> yeah, the two front um, <laughs> fangs um, were gone just in one shot. Oh, Yeah. God. On my way to Portugal for two weeks, it happened, just in the airport before I got on the plane. You must be very down about all that and that, that blow you've been dealt, that card you've been handed. Um, yeah, well, I was extremely active. I was a lifeguard at one stage and I was always, I was never known for walking. I was always known for running, but I'm very lucky though, because, um, my husband and my family, they're very, very good. They're very, very patient and well, they'd need to be because it's extremely frustrating. You're not working anymore, I assume. No, no, I'm now considered 20% disabled because uh, it gets worse. <laughs> because of being on the crutches so long, I've now got two frozen shoulders and degenerative arthritis in my neck. Mike, and you sound to me a young woman. Yeah, I'm only 46. <laughs> and how, how now do you spend your day apart from coping with chronic pain? At home. All day, every day. Um, I do get the. I do get. Uh, I have um, 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 my own consultant with the pain specialist in the um, South Infirmary, and he's been really great. He's done nerve blocks through my spine for my feet, but unfortunately, it keeps failing on my my left leg. So uh, even though I go through it, it doesn't work. But I do get about maybe if I'm lucky, I get three or four weeks out of my other leg. So is it the left one they're suggesting should be amputated? Yeah. And are you considering that? I smiled. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. I oh, you, you smiled as in, in agreement? Yeah. Isn't that a huge step to take? Uh, it, it is, but when you're in constant pain all day, every day, um, like, as I said, I used, to, um, I used to swim constantly when I was younger. My dad was the manager of the pool local, and uh, I was literally born into it. I was teaching children at nine, adults at 15, I, or sorry, 12. I was lifeguarding at 15, so I was very, very active. And I've just gone from active to slow-mo. Slow-mo. And, and, and with that amputation, you would get some aspects of your life back? Uh... Yes, but um, it's a massive thing to ask because at the moment I still have some mobility and it's like what actually triggered me to ring yesterday is where uh, that lady said, you know, that her child, she's dealing with the, the badge for the last five years and um, for her child, so she's a carer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I kind of sat there and I stepped back and I thought, well, you're still seeing it the way everybody else sees it. You don't see through the, the, the child's eyes. You know, you're seeing me get out of the car and walk into the shop and you're looking at the blue badge and going, why are you getting out of the car? Whose is it? Well, it's mine. 
but I can only walk around the shop and I'll come home and sleep for an hour because I'm knackered. Like you won't physically look as if you should have a blue badge. Yeah. 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 But even though um, it, that depends because I have a cane or crutches all the time because I, I tend to just fall over because I don't have proper... Yeah, but um, nobody's going to be critical of somebody with a blue badge walking to, into, a front of a, into a shop with a cane or a Yeah, a but crutch. because sometimes I get the... Um, because I get the injections into my back, I feel a bit better and I'm ah, supposed yeah. to do what I can. Yeah. You know, and people are looking. And to be honest with you, I've been like this since I got the blue badge. I'm very paranoid. I'm very, I feel like everyone's judging me. Even when I walk outside my door, just because I don't have my cane with me, you don't know I was in hospitals like two days ago. You know, and I had the nerve block, so I'm feeling better. So I'm able to hold myself up. Well said, but do, people, do people say something to you? Or is it a No, look? looks. Looks. It's the looks. Oh, in one particular situation, actually, um, an old lady who had the blue badge actually pulled up behind me and started beeping the horn at me and demanding that I move my car. Really? How do you react yeah. to that? Uh, I just took out my blue badge and pointed at her and said, go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I, or sometimes I just completely ignore it and walk on and just let them think what they want to think. But maybe that, maybe that woman did that because she comes to parking spaces where she has a blue badge to park in and finds somebody mm. without it has already used the space. And I has find no that a lot since I got it. That, that able-bodied yeah. drivers are using the space. Yeah, I, I actually find myself driving down the town and actually looking at the spots where they are and I'm checking to see if there's something on it and I'm kind of mumbling to myself on the way down the road, you know. And sometimes they don't have any badge displayed. Yeah, have you also right, heard yeah. of people who use family members badge? Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. But, you know, I mean, what can you do? You can't prove it unless you're going to actually stop them and make them pull out the card and show the picture and you, know, you don't have that right. Yeah. Do they ever get fined for that, I wonder? Would you ever see a fine on a car that's in a space without a blue badge? Or a clamp? Not that no. I'm aware of. Not yeah. that I'm aware of. No, I, no, actually, I have actually, believe it or not, my husband actually got fined uh, in the wheelchair um, um, parking spot because we had to, you see, there's a catch with it because you have to send it away to get your new one. Yeah. Which means you've, you're, you're left with nowhere to park, if you get my meaning, because you don't have the proper permission there to park. There is a period of time when you're badgeless, like, yeah, and he got, yeah. yeah, yeah. Literally, literally. So when that happened to my husband, he, um, he actually went up to the, to, to the, um, the council because he was like, he was in an awful state because it was like 80 quid or something like that. And it, like, he's my carer and we're on benefits. And he's like, what are we going to do? But she was great up there. He explained the situation that, you know, you can't hold on to the badge and yet try and get a new badge. So you, there, there's, there's a period of time where you're caught. It's a catch-22. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But the main point, of course, notwithstanding the chronic pain that you're in constantly, mm -hmm. is that don't judge a person by how they look. Yeah. 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 They could be just having a, go a good day. Well, that's it, because like I measured for a motorised wheelchair. I'm literally waiting for my motorised wheelchair to come and my attitude, and, and, and I have to move from my home. I, I, I'm in a council house and I'm actually going in for a transfer because I keep falling down my stairs. But surely, Literally. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to overly dwell on this, but surely there was compensation for that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I had to, but I had right to fight for it. And, and I'm damn right glad that you did. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. had to fight for it. I wasn't going to until they came down the stairs. My my boss at the time came down the stairs and handed me a letter stating that I had said that I wasn't going to sue them and blah, 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 blah. And I had never said anything. And then uh, when it came down to it... Um, he had the wrong name on the end of the letter. He, uh, the, the solicitor who, who he had obviously yeah. gotten to write it, he had upstairs clearly because he had him rush it and she wrote her name on the end of it instead of mine. And was that letter kind of a red rag to a bull to you then? Uh, yes. All right. Um, okay. good. Yes. Good. good for you. Good for you. Good that you fought then. Well, yeah, because I went down the street then and found that um, when I when I was able to go back to work, I was, you know, after I had found I was able to get better because I wasn't giving up my job. I loved my job. Mm. And they told me I could go back to the hours I was going to. And uh, it turned out I was getting less than four hours a week. And if they could find any hours for me, they'd squeeze me in. Yeah. And then I passed the false office and found my, my job being average. Oh, dear me. That's absolutely atrocious. That's atrocious. It was at the time. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was extremely, extremely distressing. Glad you're a fighter. Well done for that. And listen, um, I hope that things improve for you in the future. Me too. <laughs> whatever, whatever you decide. Thanks for taking the call, Helena. Thank you. All Thank the best. you. Text 0868104106. Uh, on taxis, it's a very small percentage of the time that taxis operate. So you will see taxis available on ranks all week long. Um, the taxi industry is well regulated and that needs to continue to stop Uber from causing chaos. Taxi drivers have gotten two price increases in only nine years and struggle because of the increased costs in that time. Don't even begin to talk about the cost of fuel charges at the moment. Another problem that taxi drivers work in the city have is the number of taxi spaces being constantly blocked by people who drive private cars or commercial vehicles. I'm all, thank you for that. Just Eat and Uber delivery drivers blocking taxi spaces. I also heard yesterday that Sundays are free for all in the city, I'm told, uh, with regards to parking. I was asking a taxi driver, which day of the week is the busiest in town? And he said, well, Saturday will always be king, but Sunday from midday to 6pm is very busy. There are no traffic wardens, so it's like the Wild West. Cars parked everywhere. Uh, taxi ranks, etc. Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday is okay, but you can feel the build-up starting on Thursday, gradually building up to Friday. And then, in horse racing terms, the stalls are open on Saturday morning and the city is busy till half two in the morning. And then on Sunday, without the traffic wardens, people just park anywhere. Calls on the way. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Yes. Of course, Red FM. You bet, John. CUH parking. A lot of workers and visitors to the CUH actually park for free almost every day across the road in High Street by Paddy Powers or Four Star Pizza. I work in this area. I've seen the same, I see the same cars day in, day out. For us working there, we find it hard to even park ourselves and there are people working in the businesses I've just mentioned. Um, it's a lot of workers and visitors to the UH parking across the road. In 2019, the charge for a weekly parking ticket for a long-term patient was €25, Euro, which we used we used to share among the family. Well, it's still that. It's still that, if nothing else. I'm a worker for the HSC in a city hospital. We get absolutely nothing. Uh, morning, my husband was in hospital 30 years ago. It was €2 Euro a day. They increased the charge because, well, it would have been two pounds a day, I suppose. They increased the charge because people coming in from Ballincollig and further west were using the car park to go to work 
and taken up all the space spaces for patients. You can understand why they would cotton on to it, though, back in the day, if it was £2 parking all day long. And they were coming in from Ballancolig or further west, just parking up there. Uh, morning, if the masks are coming back, and I'm not suggesting that they are, if the masks are coming back, please let people know that the cloth ones don't work. Someone should say that because it's a very important thing that would help better protect the vulnerable. Um, yes, Neil, mask up to keep safe as figures are totally out of control. And one final one on that. Read the leaflet on your antigen test box. It clearly says the test may not be able to distinguish SARS-CoV and other regular bacterial infections. A mask, Neil, is the equivalent of using a chain-link fence to stop a mosquito. Expel breath must go somewhere. Thank you for those texts to 0868104106. And somebody who observed something very lovely popped into McDonald's in Blackpool Shopping Centre for breakfast and there were some elderly folk uh, going on with bingo and singing. And everyone looked so very happy. It was great to see. Well, whoever was behind that, well done. Take a bow. If it was McDonald's in Blackpool, it's a great initiative. Text 0868104106. I want to chat uh, with Deirdre, uh, who's down uh, Coveway, Deirdre Mackesy, and is raffling her home, home for 17 years, I believe. Deirdre, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. And that home, tell me about it. Well, it is a beautiful place, and that's why I'm here for 17 years, because I couldn't really leave it. You know, I, I was toying with the idea of selling it for a long time, but it never came to any fruition, because I just love the house. It's right. a beautiful house. Were well, you running Robin a business house. there, at Robin Hill? I am running a business. Yeah, I've got a bed and breakfast and a tapas restaurant on the weekend, and I'm a holistic purpose myself. I do acupuncture okay. and homeopathy. Okay. So um, we, have, we have all of that going on here. And I've, over the years, expanded the B&B, and um, during, just before the first lockdown, I was um, building concrete platforms in the garden to do another wooden chalet and a, a, a place for a sauna, and I, I stopped that then because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, Would you not pick up on it now again? No. Are you, did you just say, were you saying you're just tired? No. Do you know what? No, I got COVID, um, or I had the flu at, at Christmas, and I had for the first time in my life, I could actually lie down and be sick. You know, normally you kind of work through it. And I kind of thought, I just rethought my life. I suppose that I, I thought that there's many options available to me. And I just thought, you know, I could I could be here for another 17 years. They've gone in a blink. And I just thought, no, move on. It's time to go. So then, um, around the same time, actually, I was looking on Facebook. Um, and Crosshaven Tennis Club, I think, were, were raffling a house down in um, in Drake's Point. Or pool or wherever Drake's it is. Pool, like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Douglas yeah. Douglas GA Club do it every year and others do they it do. Yeah, yeah, yeah apartments they do and houses I know it's the, the sports clubs they do and I just thought God this is a great idea you know so I, I paid 100 euros for it the, the ticket for Crosshaven yeah. um, no, no hassle I just thought right okay the odds are much better than the lotto and things so anyway I didn't win it but that's the nature of the beast but um, and I thought well, that would be a good good thing to do for here because it's a win-win situation all around I, I get paid the banks get paid a charity gets paid and somebody gets this amazing place, including a business, for 60 euros. I've, I've chosen 60. So are you, you're I, re, has COVID made you reevaluate your life and your yeah, quality of life? Has. 
Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, I'm not getting any younger, even though I'm very young at heart, but chronologically, you know. So yeah. I kind of thought, right, you know, what are we going to do with this? And I find my life has gone in chapters anyway, you know. So um, so that's that's what I'm doing. And I've given myself 12 months to sell it, 50,000 tickets. Um, I'm going to market it in America because of course connection with, with you know, the, the immigrants who, who left uh, and you know, Chicago, New York, Boston, for example, and it's amazing. You know, at, at least, at least you know they won't have the, the the problems of a mortgage. You know, I mean, you can come in here, you can live it in a family home, you can run it as a business, and I will train with my my staff. We will train the the, the person who wins, um, the prize, how to run a B and B if they want to do that. Um, you know, there's there's so many options that you can do. There's, I live in a little apartment out the back, so that can be a granny flat. There is one wooden chalet on the, the ground, so that can be let out. You know, Airbnb or booking.com yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Where will, Pet friendly. Yeah. And th- wh- yeah. Where will you go? I don't know. I've got loads of options. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, first of all, I think what I, I, I'll be continuing on with my, my acupuncture and homeopathy two days a week. So I'm, I'm probably move back to where I grew up, which is Douglas area. You know? So you said you go back uh, to your tribe in Douglas. Yeah, yeah, my tribe. Yeah, I love Douglas. It's, that's where all my buddies are, you know. So, um, yeah, but that's where I think I'll go. But and yeah, it's sixty I, multiplied I, I, by fifty thousand is three million, isn't it? Yeah, but that's yeah, a so, lot of dosh. Wow. I won't, I, darling. I won't be winning all of that, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have to pay the conveyancy, the solicitors' fees, um, the, the whole foundation. Who, who I, I've done a lot of work with Maureen over the years when we were both in Gold many months ago. Yeah. And I've been out to see her projects in Calcutta. They're unbelievable. That woman is a walking saint. Yeah. She, what she's achieved is yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I mean, she'll be getting about 120 grand. Uh, Rafa get far too much, but they get 10 percent. 10 percent is it? Yeah, they get a whack. So That's a lot of dosh, isn't it? 300 it's grand. It's a lot of dosh. But I mean, if you go onto their website, it's rfsll.com, they're selling things from boxes of chocolates <laughs> to massive houses, you know? Now, I think... This and do those houses... I mean, has somebody done this in the past with them where it's been successful and they've achieved it? Yeah, it's, 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 the onus is on me to sell the tickets. So that's, that's where some of them come a cropper in that they, they haven't set up a proper infrastructure. So um, it, it is a bit of a gamble from my point of view. And if, if it's the case that I don't sell my 50,000 tickets, um, there'll still be a cash winner. So um, the, the tickets will be drawn on next March 2023 and um, the, the, the winner will get 75% of the cash total and then Raffle will get their whack and the charity will get their percentage so I, but I still have my house you know so it's, it's a win-win situation so you know I, I estimate well over half will be taken away you know in, in expense I know, I know you're making you're making perfect sense but to I'm, me I'm, yeah. I'm, making, I'm making more money than what I would do if I was selling it directly through a, a real estate agent, Wait, what's, you know? it, what's the value do you even know is it valued? To yeah, no. My accountant was saying um, with, with the with the building because it's a listed building. It's it's a beautiful building and the business. It's one point five million is the estimated value of it. Right, that's what you get. So why not just put it on the market? Because it's this is an easier option to be honest with you, and I can make more money doing it. And also the charity gets money, and a person gets a gets a gets a prize for gets this amazing prize for sixty euros. <laughs> 
see, I can see why the winner would be happy with this route. <laughs> I know, and I mean it's just unbelievable, and it's it's fully furnished. Um, it, the business is up and running. I've got forward bookings. Cove does very well from a B and B point of view in the mid and high seasons. Yeah. So if if I won it, I would probably just work at the mid and high seasons because you don't. I wouldn't have a mortgage. Now there are maintenance costs with any old house, and yeah. I've maintained it to, to the best of my ability to a very high standard because I love the house. You know. You know, with old period homes, they can be cold and drafty and damp and everything like that, can't they? They can, and that, that's where the overheads come in. You know, so I mean, I've got a gas bills, electricity bills, and and uh, fire, you know, wood, um, wood and coal bills. Yeah. But that's part part for the course. Now, if you're running a business, you, that, that you can offset that. If you're living in it as a family home, if you have a home already, you sell that, and and, and that, and if you're earning a wage, well, then that's part for the course. It's, it's no more in excess of a mortgage. You know? Oh, you don't have to do any of the above. You could just live in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it can be cold in the winter, so you have to put on the heat. In the summer, it's warm, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's south-facing, magnificent views of Cork Harbour. Um, it's, it's beautiful. You know, there'll be a part of me that'll be very sad to leave here. Very sad. So will you be marketing it around the world as a four-star B&B, I wonder, um, in, in, overlooking beautiful Cork Harbour, etc., and Spike Island yeah. and Roaches Point and yeah. all that? Yeah, I am. Yeah, so I mean, Cove will get a bit of a, you know, they'll they'll you'll get a mention as well. But I'm marketing as a Victorian property with with the B and B business. And who do you think? Where do you think the lion's share of the raffle tickets will be bought? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, I mean, Ireland. we we just we just launched it. It went live yesterday. We're having a, a party this coming Sunday to invite people down here to have a look at their prospective prize. Um, just tea, coffee, and cake from three to five, and they Have you got a virtual tour there. going online or anything? I have. I got that done, but Raffle didn't want that up there. They, they just said that it wasn't personal enough. But I, I've all that done, so I will put that up as well um, in due course. You know, we'll stage it and we'll 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 we'll. Just yeah. make a difference. There's no point in just putting up the same old, same old stuff on social media, you know. Yeah. So, or somebody uh, that yeah. wins it for sixty euro doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to keep it. They could just flip it. They could. I mean, they they could flip it for a couple of, say, a hundred grand less than market value, and they could flip it very fast, you know. <laughs> so and then they've got money in their pocket. So you know, I think it's a fantastic idea. And I was saying it to um, this young lady who was staying with me last weekend, and she just came back from Australia, and she she thought it was a great idea. And she said that it's a huge thing, all this wrestling thing out in Australia. You know, her her husband sold his car, it was a Lexus or something, and um, second hand, and um, he 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 sold his he he raffled his car, no bother, you know. What will you do when you trouser hopefully 1.5 million? Sure, you'd never have to lift a finger again. I, I would, I know, well, I don't know. <laughs> At least that's it. It takes, a, it, it takes a lot of worries away, and I won't be netting 1.5 million. I, no, I mean, there'll be obviously tax that. implications and that and everything, yeah. but it's still going to um, be a chunk of change, though. No, I know. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll take a lot of worries off of me, and I, I, I'll continue to work. I'll do my acupuncture homeopathy because I love that, and I've invested so much time, energy, training into it, and I, I like helping people. I love my job, so I'll do that two days a week. I'll do a lot of electric bike cycling. <laughs> I bought an electric bike last year, and I love it. Swimming is a passion, and yoga, socializing, meeting friends, which is a complete luxury for me. Um, 
you're not going to live my life, you know. And do you... In the best possible way. Yeah, do you think that if COVID never came along, like many people have reevaluated their life, how they spend their time, you know, their job, changing work, things like that, leaving the country, you know, changing friends. Mm. Do, do you think... Do you think that this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID? Probably, because you get caught up in the hurly-burly, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm running around morning, noon and night. I don't have a second to myself. And I think, yes, I mean, it just gave me time. I had a lot of time to think. You know, so, um, yeah, life is for living, you know, and, and life is what you make it, you know, it's, it's you make your own luck, you know, so. Yeah, I, and yeah, I wish and you I, the best of luck in the world with it, in fairness, it's a brave step, you've given yourself, what, 12 months, is it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's doable, you know, so, um, and I'm very lucky, I, I took on a PR person to help me, because I'm not any good, very good, you know, I, I believe that if you're not good at something, you pay someone to do it for yeah, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, between us all, I hope so, you know. So, listen, it's a great prize. And, you know, 60 euros is the price of a large round of drinks, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You could spend it worse, you know. Okay, so I know that you are having um, uh, an open day on Sunday. Child-friendly, face painters, music, tea, coffee, cake. um, And people can have a walk around, a bit of a schnoop. Yep. Yeah, they can. All right. And you're more than welcome yourself if you're not down in Ken Mayer. Uh, <laughs> wherever the hell I go these days. And tell me, if somebody wants to buy yeah. a ticket right now, how can they do so? Uh-huh. They have to go on to the Rafael.com platform. That's the other thing you see. I'm, I'm out of the equation there. They do all the ticket sales and they pick the winner. Okay, so, so that's com, and they'll find it on a search for Robin Hill or something, is it? Yes, if they, yeah, they will. And if they go on to, say, my Facebook page, Robin Hill, Sanctuary, um, our dear democracy, they'll get the link there and it, they'll go straight into it. That. All right. 50,000 to sell. Tall order. Stay in touch. Let yeah. us know how the numbers are going in the coming months, will you? I most certainly will. And thank you very much, Neil. Lovely, Lovely chatting, Deirdre. Well. Take care. Take Cheers. Care. We'll stay in touch for sure. Back after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Rick's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Prenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. Get in touch. Text 0868104106. Uh, why are people not talking about the high COVID numbers at present, especially in our nursing homes? Well, we did touch on that topic actually last week. Uh, COVID outbreaks in nursing homes. Uh, back to the text. I know of one facility in Cork where 70 out of the 110 patients have COVID now. That's incredibly high. They are in a, they're on room lockdown with no access to the day room. Three are on oxygen, but none, thankfully, are serious. Today alone, five staff called in sick. The home is struggling and can't get staff. The matron runs a very good ship. She checks staff every morning. A few have had to be reprimanded due to interacting with COVID patients and then not taking their scrubs off as in finishing a shift and going out into the car park still wearing the scrubs. She's asked those who claim to have COVID to produce proof, as again, staff numbers are just so low. Please keep my details private, as I wouldn't want any repercussions if this got back to the home. But it's a worry. Uh, That particular facility with 70 of the 110 patients are staying residents uh, with COVID now. Um, you know, we were talking about um, the issues regarding the clampers down on Kennedy Key. A lot of people park down on Kennedy Key and head to the Marina Market. It's a fabulous place to visit and it's going from strength to strength and thriving. And people just love it. But the car park there fills up really quickly, particularly at the weekends. Now, Opcoa 
uh, are employed by the Port of Cork to clamp cars on Kennedy Key. And many people may not be aware that you have the potential to be clamped. We dealt with this on the air yesterday with a caller who was clamped. Was it 120, 125 euro, one or the other? Um, Liam from Goldberg's, the gastro pub, um, got in touch. And of course, that's not very far. You throw a stone from the pub to... um, to Kennedy Key. He says, I just heard you talking about the clamping going on down on Kennedy Key and the subsequent response uh, from the Port of Cork. Despite people thinking that the keys are largely disused these days, nothing could be further from the truth. In recent months, the loading and unloading areas on Kennedy Key are being used extensively. And I can assure your listeners that the Port of Cork is very busy down there of late. The clamping has come about as a result of frustration on behalf of the Port of Cork as people who are visiting the marina market are quite simply abandoning their cars wherever they can get a space, particularly on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. As you know, we are only about 50 yards from the quay and every day there are many dozens of trucks loading and unloading. In fact, it's the busiest I've seen the docks in eight years since we've been trading here at Goldberg's. Things were a little different during lockdown and as you know, our customers took full advantage of the open space when the sun came out this time last year. But things are back to pre-COVID life now and people need to realise that the Port of Cork workspace is private property and should be treated as such. To be fair to the Port of Cork, who by the way are exceptionally easy to deal with, they are trying to conduct their business on a busy quayside and even one car, if one car is left there during their working hours, it disrupts the entire workings of the docks. So, my advice to people, if they don't want to clamp is to park on the right or, as Port of Cork have suggested, choose on-street pay parking or one of the many multi-storey car parks available in the city. Do not forget that although the docks are not cordoned off, it is private property, very busy and, need I say, a dangerous place to park. Let's be honest, clamping is an abhorrence, largely due to the attitude of the clampers themselves. But I can assure you, Port of Cork are only doing this clamping as a last resort. And that's a response from Liam in Goldberg's, uh, as he says, only 50 yards from Kennedy Key, from the offending location, if you like. Text 0868104106, back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number, 0818-104-106. Okay, I want to update you on the case of Marius Rosinskas at this stage because he was before the courts again. This is the Court of Appeal. And he is, uh, as we know, a convicted murderer um, back in his home country of uh, Lithuania. Um, But here in Ireland... um, He dragged his wife by the hair, hit her head off a table, punched her, kicked her, tried to pull her eyelashes off before finally attempting to suffocate her. Uh, And he was before the court of appeal and has again, once again, avoided jail. Now, the backstory to this, of course, I've just outlined there in, you know, only a few words. I mean, you, you, you can't imagine what his what his partner Renata actually went through in the moment of the attack or the moments of the attack. But we know that Rosinskas, the 45-year-old, is formerly from Lithuania but now residing in Cork City. And he originally received an 18-month suspended sentence. Remember that? We dealt with it on air. Many people were very angry about it. He received an 18-month suspended sentence for the three-hour attack uh, which took place in January of 2020 at a house that he shared with Renata in Castletown Bear. Now, after that 18-month suspended sentence, now, 
for dragging his wife by the hair, hitting her head off the table, punching her, kicking her, trying to pull her eyelashes off, attempting to suffocate her. Uh, he got uh, an 18-month suspended sentence. Some of it had to do with time served, if I remember correctly. The DPP uh, appealed that. Um, and in submissions to the Court of Appeal, the DPP said that he carried out a sustained assault in a domestic setting which involved punching, kicking, dragging the victim by the hair, hitting her head off a table and trying to pull her eyelashes off, as well as threats to kill her. Uh, when she tried to raise the alarm and phone Gardee, Rosinskas grabbed the mobile phone out of her hand and smashed it. The DPP said that he had previously served 15 years for murder in Lithuania and moved to Ireland in 2015 upon his release. Uh, looking at the entirety of the sentence imposed, it was unduly lenient, uh, said the DPP. Now, the Court of Appeal, I believe uh, three judges, delivered their judgment and agreed with the DPP and they quashed the original suspended sentence. One of the judges said it must have been terrifying for the victim in question, obviously. They increased Rosinska's sentence from 18 months uh, to three and a half years, but then suspended the final two years in a judgment which actually allowed Rosinska's then to leave the court. Um, he entered a good behaviour bond as a result of time previously served in custody. So in spite of the sentence being increased from the 18 months originally to three and a half years, two of that was then suspended. He entered a behavior, a good behavior bond and walked out of the court. Um, his uh, solicitor and barrister said that uh, he was now living in Cork City where he worked in a meat processing plant and he had previously worked as a fisherman and in a fishing process pl- processing plant but had left those jobs as a result of the adverse publicity surrounding the case. So avoided jail in spite of an increased sentence after the DPP appealed it to the Court of Appeal. Now many people at the time were wondering why in the name of God Rosinskas or anyone who behaves like that wasn't automatically deported out of Ireland. Of course that didn't happen either. So that's the update for you when things go through the court process and go to appeal. Uh, it's always important to go back and to revisit again. So I'm quite sure that that will annoy many, many people when they hear of that. Uh, but that's the update with regards to Marius Rosinskas. Uh, and so to something quite similar, actually. Joanne, morning to you. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, and thank you for taking the call because every time somebody goes through horrific experiences in their lives and tells their story, I know that it's not an easy thing. And you went through two and a half years of hell. Uh, mind yeah. you, this is back in the, in the noughties. There was, there was no early indications um, that anything was amiss, right? No, definitely not. When I first met him, he, he was the perfect gentleman. The, even down to silly things like holding open car doors, holding open restaurant doors, things mm. like that, couldn't do enough. Yeah, the perfect gentleman, as you say, in the old-fashioned yeah. way. Yeah, literally, yeah. literally. Yeah. And how long was it good for? Um, well, I'll tell you now, Neil, it, it jumped very, very quickly and got serious very, very quickly. Um, I had a daughter already. She was... Uh, 18 months old, 19 months old. Mm. When I met him, because he was such a godsend, I literally jumped in head over heels. I was, not unfortunately, but I fell pregnant very quickly. We moved in very quickly. 
we got engaged. I thought it was all a dream come true. And then literally overnight, it just... Changed. And it seems to have been overnight. The 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 the, mor- the morning you told him you were expecting was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the morning I told him that I was expecting, I I won't use language obviously on live air, but um, it was basically it's way too early in the morning for this leave me alone kind of thing. He did. Too early in the morning to be dealing with you telling me you were pregnant, is it? No, 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 not at all. Not at all, at all. Um, He did use cannabis. I do not. I don't even, uh, well, I didn't. I don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke, nothing. Um, He he did like a drink, but he wouldn't be falling around the place drunk. But he did smoke cannabis on a daily basis. Okay, and are are you saying that that was having an effect on his mental stability or something? Um, at the start, maybe not so much because it it didn't affect us until later on in the relationship that I could see how he would change after using. Okay, well, I mean, you were there. You saw the change. Who can argue with that? And over that period of time, was he using more and more and more? Um, I wouldn't particularly say he used more. It was kind of the same usage over the whole time that we were on again, off again. Um, but the violence and the mental torture escalated very, very quickly. Did both of them? Quickly. Did both of them come at the same time? Um, it was more mental that came first and then the physical abuse came afterwards. Um, it was, he would, first off, the, the first huge row that kind of happened was um, he accused me of doing drugs. And he, on numerous times, uh, made me do urine tests do blood tests. Um, There was one occasion that he literally, a doctor, he'd taken me to the doctors and the doctor actually turned around to him and said, I don't think this girl is on drugs. I think it's you that's, it's on drugs. And he was infuriated with that. But hang on a second, how how could, how could he even get you into a doctor? You're an adult, like a doctor isn't going to see you. Because I was under so much influence that I I was under I would be told that he wouldn't want and nobody else would want me I was pregnant with his child no guy would want you with two kids you're damaged goods you're this you're that and eventually Neil you're the lady that was speaking yesterday did tell the truth it eventually embeds in your head that you believe nothing else so it's better to be with someone than be on your own and you'll do everything in your power to make it stop. Why why do they all seem to have men who behave this way? And I'm sure, again, I've said it over and over again, there are women also who do it, but we'll we'll deal with that later. But why do they all have the same kind of... um, tactics you know like time after time i'm speaking with women and indeed as the same men who are being told that they're worthless that they're useless false accusations gaslit being told that you know that uh, nobody would ever love them you know what where do they learn that like it doesn't come from a manual i don't know 
I, I genuinely don't know. It's, it's, but it, it, it really does. For someone that hasn't been in that situation, it's very easy for them to turn around and say, Ash, I just leave. Add, like, it's very easy. Well, what are you still doing with them? What are you still doing with them? It, mine was, as I said, the mental torture. Some of the things that he would accuse me of are, like, people in a psych ward wouldn't be saying uh, these listen, kind of things. Listen, come here, was, in a made-up movie, you wouldn't believe it. Checking the it, mileage it, of your car. Yeah, and he would accuse me of precision moving in the bed which he would tell me that I would deliberately try to move the blanket off him millimetre by millimetre and then deny that I was doing it to make him think that he was going crazy. Okay, I think that maybe I'd be kinder and using wouldn't use a crazy word like that, but I probably would use that he had mental health issues for sure. Well, I... <laughs> I didn't want to say that on, on live air, but yeah, basically it was it was horrendous. He, I, I even remember one time he he picked up my daughter when she was fast asleep in her cot, convinced that I was doing drugs, took her nappy off, and actually cut open the nappy because he was convinced that I had concealed some type of drugs in her nappy. Okay, okay. Um- when did it get physical? Was that quite early as well? I mean, I have some references yes, here to when, awful beatings. It would have been the first time he properly, properly laid hands on me. And I suppose it wasn't even actually his hands per se. It was actually, I would have been approximately five or six months pregnant. And I we had had a fight. And I was sitting on the top of the stairs and he stormed past me and kicked me straight into my stomach. <sighs> kicked me straight into my stomach. Um, I ended up in the CUH. Thank goodness everything was okay. Um, but it, it escalated from there then. There was numerous black eyes. Um, th- there was one particular time that he'd taken me, as I said, to the doctors to do urine tests to prove that I wasn't doing drugs and this was one of the days that I will admit I completely lashed out to the point where I actually tried to hit him Mm. in trying to escape out of the car and the car was stopped in the middle of a very secluded road I was dragged out of the car and do you know, do you remember the 90s Timberland boots? The, yes. the, the, yeah. the beige. Yeah. That was imprinted in my back to the point then where I was literally left at the side of the road and a gentleman literally stopped and picked me up and put me into his van and took me home. And as I said, there's there's so many things that and, I can tell you, and so many examples. And, and that gentleman yeah. that picked you up was he aware of what had happened? He was when he picked me up and asked me, "Was I okay?" Because I was literally sat at the side of the road. Did you tell him I what happened? Li- yes, yes, Did and he he literally put me into his van took me to my front door and um, went to my neighbour and got the neighbour to ring the guards. Okay, okay, thanks be to yeah. God. Did the guards yeah. arrive? 
They did. They did, Neil. And it got to the point where they were sick to death of me calling them. And then three weeks later, I would take him back. And that's how I eventually ended up completely breaking ties but with just him. before we get to that I mean the guys would call and you would tell them of, of the beatings I mean oh, yeah. I think okay that was a yeah. beating while out while out driving incidentally yeah. were there children in the car there was there was my son in the car at the time yes okay can you imagine the consequences he was he was, he was about I think he was approximately about three months old at the time okay and I, I think also um I don't mean to upset you by saying this, but he would pull you out of bed and, uh, and perhaps when you were asleep by the hair and yeah. beat you. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, you had no, you had no peace. You never knew what was coming next. I never knew what was coming. And I have quite a substantial amount of tattoos and I would be accused of going and having tiny little bits of the tattoo done and then denying it to him to make him feel that he was going crazy. Oh, for God's sake. I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And, like, and at, any, at, any, at any time, at any time, did any anyone... Time, no, no, any I'm saying, time. at any time, did anyone else in your life suspect the horrors you were going through? Oh, yes. He attacked my mother and he tried to run over my brother. They, they all knew and everybody knew what was going on, but I just didn't have the strength at the very start to... And there must have at and some it, stage been a family intervention, was there? It was it was the guards. It was the guards that eventually said, like, we won't come to you anymore unless you stop this. It has to stop. Because it's going to, like, th- there was one stage I was, I think I was about seven or eight months pregnant that I was begging him so much to stop that I actually had a knife to my stomach and I said, I'm just going to end this completely because I'd rather not be here than live like this anymore. Oh my God, you were just... It, it, it was horrendous. You were it really end. was. Yeah, I know. Um, you, even to the point of one day that I we were in court and his words when I came out of court because I didn't go ahead with the to press charges was... Now no one's going to believe you when I do hit you again. They're all going to think you're lying. I know, I know. I mean, let those of us walk in your shoes, you know. I mean, and then, as I said, to like it, it, when I eventually did gather the strength to completely and utterly end it, that was it. There was no going back. He um, rang social services, told social services I was beating my children up and they were being neglected. Um, I was formally investigated. Yes, that would trigger an investigation. Did that go on for a long time? It went on for about six months. They could arrive at my door any time without any, um, what would be the word, without any knowledge to me. They could just notice, yeah. They could call any time. And it eventually got to a point where the guards, the last time it kind of happened, they said, we're not going to allow this to pass now and they actually got onto my landlord and pushed my landlord to push it further and he ended up actually in prison for three weeks for criminal damage okay so you had left the apartment at that stage because your house, your house. okay i thought it was an apartment your, your parents came and no. got you didn't they and brought yes, you home they, but ahead but ahead I of that i mean house. yeah you. i moved house i i started fresh and when i moved that was when the tormenting started he would arrive at the door at my new house 
flashing the lights, um, ringing me, telling me, I know that you've got this man in there. I know that you've got that man in there. Um, I was in Penny's in Wilton one day with my mum shopping and he arrived right next to me saying, I'm going to make your life hell to the point that the security guard had to say, can you please leave? Make it hell. He had already done that. Yeah. He'd already yeah, done well, that. He wasn't, like, as I said, there was, he would shout through the letterbox. I remember, I remember one day I was hoovering and the, the, luckily the children were actually in my mother's and I was cleaning and I was getting called every name under the sun and was told that he was going to run me off the road the next time he saw me out walking. You must have lived in constant fear. Oh, it was the amount of death threats I got was slim to none. Okay. Slim to none, the amount of death threats. But um, luckily, I did. I ended up meeting somebody and I have three other children now, so I have five altogether mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. married now and thank the Lord, he has had no contact with me or his son for going on 13 years. Okay, and I'm delighted to hear that because there were other horrific aspects to your story, um, which, which in, you know, course of control at its very best, that he would check, yes. the, mi- he would check the mileage from your yes. house to your friend's house. He would yes. look at the mileometer, subtract one yes. from the other. If there were kilometers yes. missing, they'd be held to pay. God almighty, yes. that's the kind yes. of control he had. It was it was crazy. It really was. But you remember? Do you remember? You said there were a number of red flags, and one of them was from an ex partner. How long into the relationship was that? That was literally only about two months into the relationship. Two three months into the relationship. What did she say? I he received a voicemail from his ex partner saying, "I hope you." Kick the SHIT out of her like you did me the night of our engagement party. Did you hear it? He, I did. I physically heard the voicemail and he told me that it was actually her that had attacked him and she was lying because he wouldn't take her back. And you believed him? I did. I suppose you do when he's got that control. He was well on his way to controlling and manipulating at that stage, yeah? Oh, well, well, like it was, and to be fair, since I've, since that has happened, my husband sometimes sits on Google and, and just searches things up. And it was only about three years ago. Um, I actually have the document. Um, he came running up the stairs going, oh my God, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I, lo and behold, I couldn't believe what I was seeing that a girl that he had done it to after me had actually wrote up a warning on the internet with his picture. Good God. And even mentioned me and him being in prison for what he'd done to me. God almighty. She's literally warning people to stay away, warning women to stay away from him. Okay. Okay. Um, can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? Um, because I'm yes. quite sure that there are men listening to this program and to our converta- conversation who believe that my conversation with you and other women over the past few days 
makes everybody be makes very think that men are evil, that men are no, nasty, not. and no, no but not. but but they but they will, and, and some may even turn off the program because of that, because they'll feel yes. that it's anti-men, and why Prendival always has this agenda, sharing these stories, and never says that it never happens to men. Uh, how would you it respond? To, yeah, but how does. you know, talk to me about that. It does happen to men. It, it does. It, 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 I would never in my wildest dreams try to say that a woman isn't capable of doing it. No way. It's not gender. But what, how would I say this without sounding sexist, is the fact that men are stronger. No matter what way you look at it, a man can do more damage than a woman. And a man feels inferior if a woman tries to and would hide it more than what a woman would hide or could hide it, I suppose. I, I'm, I, I, know, I, I understand that. And I understand as well that the women that I've been speaking with, by and large, have been the victims of narcissists, sociopaths, people yeah. with psychological health issues. You could say just evil people nasty people I don't know whether it was in their upbringing or what kind of power or sense of control they get out of it but it has to be said though that when men hear these stories it breaks our heart you know because it's not all it's not you're like men aren't we're not all wired that way you know it's so upsetting no no, definitely not and what I also find as well is that I found that a lot of girls girls women whichever you want to call them would have not said this I was particularly lying, but would have said, oh, are you sure it was that bad? Or are you sure... Oh, no, I mean, I, 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 I 100% believe every single word you're saying. I'm just asking... Are you yeah. sure he did this to you? Because there was numerous times where he actually told people that I would hit myself. And it was me that was making it up. And I would sit down and I would hit myself. And then I would go and tell people that he did it. Yeah, every trick and the there was people, and that's that's probably one of the hardest things about domestic abuse yeah. is the fact that some women feel they just can't come out and talk about it because out of fear that they will be not believed, not believed exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these all these years later, now you've found happiness and love and had other children. Are, are you are you back to the person that you were before him? Do you know what? It's I'm stronger as a person in that I would not take anything lying down now. I would one hundred percent fight my corner on yeah. anything now. Yeah. What I do find is that even. In my relationship now with my husband, he could say one little thing that would bring me straight back into that relationship, even though he is nothing like him Mm. and would never in his wildest dreams ever lay a finger on me. There are some things that literally would be like, whoa, Mm. Mm. I'm back there again. Yeah, I know. I know. I hope those times get fewer and fewer as the years go past. Having yeah. having these conversations, I hope help others who are going through the kind of hell you went through to get yeah, out. Definitely, you know? because yeah. you can get out, even though I know it sounds cynical for for me because I I stayed long enough and I did put up with it long enough. But I know, I know 
women that are in abusive relationships. I know women that have got out of abusive relationships. And you can get out. And do you know with regards to the investigation that went on for six months, what did they determine at the end of it? They sat down with me and my mother in my old house and said, we know and we knew from the very start when we first came here that your children were not in danger. We knew that what had been told to us was absolute lies but we had no choice to investigate because obviously when somebody comes forward with a complaint, we have to do our job. But you're giving me the impression and that they say that this happens from time to time. Yeah. yeah, they said that you are not the first. You will not be the last woman that has their ex-partner who has been domestically violent with them or uh, mentally abusive to them. The last thing is to hurt them where they know that they can hurt them the most. And that's what they do. Because they won't take them back. They've made the decision that, right, it is over. There's no going back now. So they'll do everything in their power to hurt you because you won't take them back. Because they're losing control, you see. And it's the last thing of a dying wasp. Yeah, so it's the last thing that that they try to do. All right, you came through that and a lot more besides. Well done, Joanne. Good luck to you. Thanks so much for taking Thanks the call. Thanks very much, Neil. Thank you. All the best. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818104106. And I do want to thank Joanne again for coming on air bravely and retelling a story. It's not an easy thing to do. She did it courageously, courageously and she did it confidently. And thank you for that, Joanne. Uh, and a horrific story to tell. If you want to get involved in the conversation or you have thoughts on that, text 0868104106. Another brave lady was Mary yesterday who was on the air, on air with me yesterday morning. Mary. Uh, regarding an alleged assault on two teen girls in Douglas on, on Sunday evening, in the early evening on Sunday, and one of them was her daughter. Um, these are two 14-year-old girls that were literally walking into Douglas Village from home to get a spice bag um, and looking forward to it. And then they were set upon by a couple of what seems like young fellas and harassed and touched. And at one stage, um, they were told, one of them was told that he was going to rape her. And uh, this torture and this ongoing assault uh, verbal and physical went on, they say, for uh, over 40 minutes entirely. So we did contact the Garda Shikona on that, and Garda Press came back to say the Garda are investigating an alleged assault that's reported to have occurred Sunday evening in the Douglas area. No arrests have been made at this stage of this ongoing investigation, and no further information is available at this time. And the key to that, of course, is this is an ongoing investigation, and we let the Garda Shikona get on with doing their job in that one. It's a shocking state of affairs, though, when you have two 14-year-old girls just walking down for a bit of food and to be set upon and harassed like that for such a long period of time. But from what looks like um, young fellas who didn't seem to be a whole lot older than the two girls themselves. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Not much time left for you today, but I do recall some days back chatting with Brian Canty, who was talking about his the passing of his son, Ben, and the passing of his late wife, Elma. He told the story beautifully, and it was in connection with Sunday's uh, census night, where we'll be allowed to write down some note or a few passages or a couple of paragraphs or as much as you can um, that will be read in 100 years time and that's what he was going to write about his son Ben and about his wife 
uh, and the importance of them in his life and uh, how Ben tragically died so young but saved so many lives because of organ donation. Uh, I'm happy to say that Margaret is happy to, to share her story as to what she's going to do on Census Night as well. Margaret, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And it will be the seventh anniversary of your daughter Grace's passing, isn't that right? It will, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, on the Sunday, yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you'll mark that uh, in the census, will you? Um, I will, yeah. To be honest, um, I love doing my, you know, family trees and family history. Yeah. So when I saw this coming up, um, I said it would be an opportunity for future generations. Um, like, I won't be here. Her children probably won't be here either. But at least it would be some kind of a note on, you know, about who she was as a person. Um, you know, just little snippets about her, about her life, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of the old censuses didn't have that kind no, of... No, they didn't, actually. So. And we'd be crying out for it looking at... I know I go through old census looking and thinking yeah. about the people who were in the home at that time and what became of their life. We have nothing except a bit of statistical information, you know, and I think it's going yeah, to be a great opportunity. And, and what can you tell us about Grace? Um, well, she was 28. Um, like a lot of people, they've described, you know, people that have taken their own lives... Full of full of life, um, you know. She had she has two children. Mm. Uh, she was working. She had a job. She had a car. She had a house. Um, and just for whatever reason, she just decided that um, she didn't want to be here anymore. Um, Seven years ago, it just all became too much for her. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Left no warnings, no notes. Um, I was the last one to physically speak with her. Um, and, you know, just there was just no warning. It just came completely out of the blue. And what was that conversation? I'm sure you recall it. I do. Uh, Grace used to play darts. I used to play darts myself like her dad. Um, and she had been out at a dart match. It was actually Holy Thursday. Um, and she came home early because, obviously, the pubs were closed early because of the Good Friday. Um, she was supposed to be working the following day and uh, she just said look she said, I, I, I won't be working I'm not working tomorrow I'm taking the night off uh, so I said fine okay because I used to look after the kids while she was at work as well yeah yeah. and then it was just a case she just said look because I was going to work the following day myself I work in the Mercy and she said uh, look I'll see you at some stage tomorrow I said good night and that was it was that on the phone or in person or what? No, in person because she actually lived next door to me. Yeah. Um, and I got a phone call and worked the following day that somebody had, you know, seen her, phoned her, and that was it. Basically, we just kind of, seven years down the line, we still don't know any sure, more than what we how did How did you process that? Like, there must have been, among other things, obviously shock, but total confusion, I would think, as to... This cannot be happening. This I was talking to her last night. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. But, I mean, like anybody who's been in this situation, they all have the same, they all say the same thing. Do you know, like, how do you actually process something like that for somebody who basically a couple of hours ago looked and sounded the way they always did? She ever spoke to you or confided in you about worries or any issues or any underlying no. things? No. No, no, well, like, years ago, she had her, her own issues, like a lot of kids do, like, but 
we thought she had gotten around them, but obviously there was something. There must have been something in the back yeah, of her mind that was that was affecting her. She just uh, she had just gotten so good, I think, at hiding it that none of us suspected that it would reach this stage. Um, and it's just as I say, it's just it's be, it's bewildering. You know, um, I know, and as I said, just to leave her two kids behind her, and are they very young kids? Imagine too, yeah. She well, was... they were twelve and seven at the time. Um, like and her youngest one actually said to me last week, she said, "Like my mum has been missing for half of my life," and I said, "You know, you're right. You know, it takes like a child to kind of put it in perspective, as well. You know, we like we miss her constantly. You know, it's not something just because people." think that because it's seven years that you're supposed to like move on and get over it but you don't you know it's it's there every day um and like i said we're no nearer to getting an answer now than what we no were no, no 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 and um, the only consolation that we had really was that she had her facebook page and you know we she had a lot of photographs of her seven the kids and you know things that she used to do but you know like it was like a snapshot of her life and I don't know, for some reason, I decided one day to download all the photographs off her page. And then maybe, I think it was during the first lockdown, uh, we noticed there was some activity on her messenger. Now, we knew it wasn't any of us. But then, about a day or two after we noticed that, somebody had obviously hacked her page and deleted her account. Which meant that everything that she had put up there herself was gone. Forever? Yes, forever. There was no getting it back. It was just deleted, gone, disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, and I think, you know, like for these things like Christmas and birthdays and anniversaries, it was nice to share stuff to her page because a lot of her friends would have still seen it. But I think, you know, since the page is gone, you've kind of lost that kind of an output. What an horrific thing to do to her memory. Yeah, though. oh, listen, I, I tried to get onto Facebook and all these kind of things, but um, because it was lockdown, there was nobody physically working. They were all working remotely and stuff, so... Well, that's the only reason I can put on it. Somebody just decided to hack her account and delete her page. And again... And it wasn't... Like, nobody else had the password, only, like, herself and her daughter, and she didn't do it, so... I don't know, I just, there are times you just can't understand the mentality. It's another blow on top of the tragedy, of course. It is. So, like, to be honest, when I saw this uh, coming up on this on the census page, I said, yeah, that's it. That's what I'll be doing. Now, I mean, I have other family that have gone before her, like, but they've all been documented, you know, they've all, my parents have lived long lives, thank God. And, mm, mm. You know, but it wasn't great because she was only 28. Yes. It's kind of like future generations won't know anything at all about her. Yeah, in the sense that you don't want to be, to be forgotten. Exactly, that's it. Because sometimes it feels that way, you know, like that's just us, like her immediate family. Or no, it probably isn't like that. But sometimes it feels like that because we don't have any kind of physical manifestation of the way people are thinking about her. Mm. You know, mm. if we post something up, they say, oh, you know, like, your man will be proud and stuff like that. But it kind of doesn't really give anybody kind of a chance to say anything about her. Do you know what I mean? Well, you're certainly going to be, um, you know, um, definitely copper fastening her memory in 100 years' time to future generations, which would be grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. What will you say? Um, well, I... 
you know, like I said, we'll, we'll just kind of have a think. I'll pull together some stories about her, as far as I'm concerned. The little box that they have in the page wouldn't be big enough because I could probably fill it about three times. But, yeah, you know, just what she was like herself as a person and what she liked to do. And, you know, these are things that you... It's fine having words on paper, but you don't really kind of get the essence of a person from a census form. You know, you just kind of get the bare information and what have you. Like, yeah, so, no, nothing but like the said, bare there's, information. There's things that she liked and, you know, the way she was, you know. Because, I mean, she was a fun-loving girl. Like, she liked to go out and, you know, she, a lot of people said she was like just like the life and soul. Which is probably, it was probably her way of covering whatever way. Yeah, I know. And yet carrying the torment alone. Yes, exactly. No, I mean, like, as I said, I mean, she had her own issues. Uh, all kids do. But, like, we'd helped her through them. And just uh, no, I know, I'm not disputing like, that. Knew, I know that. She knew there was faith, you know, if she wanted help, we we would have given it to her gladly. You know, but I... I I don't know. It's it's just hard to even still quantify it. No, sure, I know. And little did she know at the time when she was struggling and ultimately took her own life of the the pain yeah. and sadness she would leave behind. Yeah, I know. I, I it's I, overwhelming I on her. Think that it's some people like it's just like a switch. Yeah, well, yeah. I know a lot of pe- a lot of people have said that, but because she, you know, she loved her kids so much, and you know, she seemed to be she seemed to have everything together in her life. I seriously do think that it's like it's just a switch in the brain that just flicks. And did did you, you you reared her children, your grandchildren? Yes, I do. I still have them. They're they're they live with me. But um, you know, it's it's hard for them as well because she's kind of she ha- she's already missed so much of their lives. And I mean, like going forward, now I don't know whether they'll have they'll get married or they'll have their own kids and stuff like that. You don't know in the future, but you know, it, it's that. That makes me, you know, like kind of stop and think that she'll miss so much of their futures I know. as well as her own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably was the kind of girl that knew that Mammy would look after her babies. Oh, well, she knew that anyway because, yeah. you know, like anything, if, if it was remotely possible, if they needed help, um, you know, it would have been done. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. even still, I, I seriously think that we didn't even come into the, the quantification when she was actually doing it. I know what you're saying. No, I yeah, think the just, switch that got flicked. Yeah, yeah. yes, I do. It's it just like a moment of madness. Yeah, yeah. You know? Do you believe that you will meet her again? Do you, have you that kind of faith? Oh, I do, I do. And yeah. her her daughters would be the same. We kind of, um, you know, we, we go a lot by signs and stuff, you know, like, you know, all these, I know people say it's silly, but... No, no, don't ever, don't ever allow anybody look, to say that. I know, you try to hold on to whatever little bit of hope that you, that you can give yourself. Um, there are greater powers than us at work, aren't there? Well, I, I'd like to think there are. I just don't want to think that, you know, when you're gone, you're gone and that's that. Do you think that she sends you signs? Oh, I think she does. I think she does. We, we kind of guess, like, you could be talking about her and our favourite songs will come on. <clears throat> or, you know, a lot of people, you know, say, as I say, like you have robins, white feathers, all these kind of, you know, all these kind of little signs that people yeah. kind of go by. Yeah. We actually go by them as well because Embrace you say, you, you, you have to. You drive yourself mad otherwise. I know, I know. It'll be a wonderful tribute that you'll do to your beautiful daughter this coming Sunday. Use your words well, but I think they'll come from the heart, won't they, Margaret? 
Oh gosh, they will. And as I'd say, like, I mean, if they put three pages in, it probably still wouldn't be enough. And I know I'm not the only person that probably feels that way. There's a lot of people that have lost loved ones over the years, so they'll probably do the same. But it's it's nice to have the opportunity to put... It's a comfort, yeah. A bit it's of her life down for future generations. It's a comfort and it's a, tri- and it's a tribute. Well said, yeah. It is, yeah. it is, yeah. you know. Because even her daughter was saying, like, you know, that when I was telling her about it, she was saying, God, that's mad. Like, she said, like, I won't even be around to read that. So I said, no, but if you have kids your grandchildren with, yes, they'll know what something. their great-grandmother was like. Yeah, you know? yeah that's right. It's a that's great right. opportunity. It is. Thank you so much for coming on air. Thank you for sharing. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Look after yourself. And you too. Thank Take you very care, much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Remember Bye. your Bye. lovely daughter, Grace. Our lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. If you have a story you'd like to share and do it over time, then email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.